Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark. Today I am talking with Daniel Dominguez III, super talented musician. What is up, dude? Hey, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) This part's weird. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I'm like, I'm going to make him uncomfortable off the bat and tell him how super talented he is. (laughs) I'm going to make him deal with it. I want I want to hate this podcast because because of how uh, nice you're being to me. Uh, <laughs> too, too too much too much positivity off the bat, or too much blowing you no. off the bat. <laughs> you know what it is? Is I come from an area where uh, people don't really give love, and and so like uh, dealing in the local every local scene doesn't give you the love you deserve until you go out of town. You know? Oh, for sure. So, that's got to uh, make sense, right? Because they're like, oh. Yeah. You know, if they're from here, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, dude, just, yeah. fucking, there's talented people everywhere. No, and, I feel you, man. A jacuzzi really feels good. But if you were just in an, an ice cold pool and then you get into a jacuzzi, you want to die. <laughs> it doesn't feel right. <laughs> dude, that is an excellent analogy. I like that. That was off the top of my head. You could use that one. <laughs> Might get to you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, dude. Um, so I first heard I first heard you on Heroes of Noise podcast. Got to give a shout out to those guys because oh, without them, I mean that we, we wouldn't be here today w- without them because, Facts. because you've been on there. They they've played little bits of, of Farouk on there. And then for whatever reason, earlier this week, I was like, I need to listen to Farouk. And so I pulled it up on Spotify and I pulled up your heat album and I listened through, I mean, even before I was through the first song, I was like, this is fucking rad. And then I listened to it again all the way through and then messaged you and then just started this great, you know, kind of back and forth with you, you know, texting. And then and then you introduced me into your solo work also. And I, I feel like it's the start of a beautiful friendship, Daniel. <laughs> dude, yes, absolutely. Because, um, dude, I, I mean, like, OK, I got to go back to, to making you uncomfortable for a minute here. Let's go. I'll I'll shoot it back to you. So watch out. So, <laughs> so listening to Farouk, like, dude, I I grew up like it, like in my like formative years. Like when I first started getting to the point where it was like, this is the music I'm picking out for myself. Like I gravitated towards really heavy music. Like one of the like some of the first cassette tapes I went and bought with my own money were like Pantera, Far Beyond Driven, uh, yes. Sepultura, Chaos AD. Like I was just listening yes. to really fucking heavy shit at a time where, and also in rural Iowa, where a lot of people would look at you like what the fuck are you listening to that screaming shit for? And it's like, I don't know. It just, <laughs> it speaks to me. It's like, it, it makes me, it just makes me feel good. You know, the, the, what music is supposed to, or art in general is supposed to do for you, right? It's supposed to unlock something in you. And, and that's what heavy stuff did. And, and then, you know, along the way, I, I then got into rap and I mean, my journey in music has been crazy all over the place. And, like even to like old country and then like into like dubstep and like mushroom jazz and stuff at one time. And then like uh, going to Iowa city and catching like uh, shows of like live house DJs and shit like that. I mean, I've been all over the place with music and, and listening to Farouk, man, it, it took me right back to like, you know, the, the music that they kind of started me off on that. And so like, I just had that, you know, it's new music, but, but it, it touched a nostalgic place in me. Just because, you know, I, I've loved that that kind of hardcore music for so long and I could feel so many different elements in it with, you know, like the like the really heavy thrash and, and the screaming and, and parts where it really sounds like it's got like a like an influence of what feels like eighties punk to it, where it's like, you know, people just trying to break themselves with the sound they're making. It's just fucking rad. And then and then when we're texting 
and then you get me over to to your ded stuff it's so mellow and it's it's so awesome on i mean it's it 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 it, it touches in that exact same way of excellence but just from a very different energy and I don't know, my, my hat's absolutely off to you, dude. The, the fact that you can do two ends of that spectrum and do them both with such a level of excellence, like, it just blew me away. And and then the fact that you're cool enough to be responding to my text messages when I'm, like, reaching out and basically just being like, you're awesome. You know, I mean, like, it was so gracious of you. And then, you know, less than a week later, here we are, you know, you're on my podcast talking to me. So, I mean, it's, I don't know, this, is, this has just been a really great week for me, and I'm so glad that we're here and we're and we're talking now <laughs> me too man because like i listened to your uh interview on heroes of noise this might turn into a heroes of noise love fest and i'm okay with that <laughs> yeah i'm totally okay with that too <laughs> and you know um i try to stay up on their stuff because i i enjoy what they do and it's literally my only reference to what's going on in tv and in pop culture sometimes because I don't watch a lot of TV or movies or anything like that. So like I kind of just take these guys' word for it, and I'm listening, and I'm hearing you talk about your characters. And I could hear, dude, I know it with all my heart. I could hear you smiling when you were talking about your characters. Oh, for sure. And when I, when I hear somebody smiling in their voice, it makes my heart jump. I love it. And to hear you talk about that kind of made me feel alive because I, I had quite a journey getting the album, the DED album I sent you. I had quite a journey getting that done and getting that out. And I wasn't feeling, I'm going to be a thousand with you, man. I wasn't feeling great about it at, uh, it's an up and a down. And, and at one moment I could be feeling on top of the world. And at another moment I could just be like, why am I doing this? And hearing you speak about your book and speak about your character reminded me on why I'm doing this. And it was so dope. And, you know, I left a comment and we started messaging and dude, the fact that you love Farouk is dope. And I dude, it's cool to be recognized for things that I'm just expressing myself. And it's from such a great creative mind. I just finished your book last night in one sitting and it was fire. And (laughs) like, I was, I was in dude, I was all the way in. Well, the, the book came in on Amazon yesterday. And then you, uh, I had also, uh, been able to, I don't know if I could say this, you can cut this part, but <laughs> no, I got to listen good. to it. <laughs> I got to listen to it, which is way easier than reading. Reading's hard. <laughs> so like I listened to it, dude, and I could see everything you were saying. And that was so dope to me. I was not feeling good last night. I had a bit of a headache and I laid down and listened to that book and it was the best thing I could have done for myself. Oh wow, dude! That's it was so tight, dude. So take that, take that love back to you. <laughs> well, well uh, I just you know, that's what I've, I've been trying to work on getting better at, at taking praise yeah. and not, you know, immediately starting out from the position of, well, I suck, so here we go. <laughs> because no, I, mean, I, I, you know, I mean, w- w- when you said that you came from a place where there, you know, you you didn't get a lot of love shown to you, I I don't know if that's. If, if that's the same way I'd describe myself. Cause like I always, you know, had a lot of love and support from family, but like when it came with, you know, dealing with other people, like, I don't know. I, I just feel like that's always been like, I've always been super socially awkward. Like, yeah. like, like when it comes yeah, to like the tell. meetups and like meeting people at C2E2 and stuff, like on the yeah. one hand, I'm, I'm like very outgoing and I love it. But then also there's a part of me. <laughs> did, did you ever watch the Will Ferrell movie? Um, the one where he's the NASCAR driver. Uh, yes, I, that, 
I you probably were... could recite that whole movie to you. <laughs> okay, then perfect. You're going to get this analogy then. I am when he's on camera and he's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> and then his hands keep uh, yeah. rising into frame. That's me when I'm around lots of people. Like, I don't know. I'm just really like in my head. I'm like, you're so fucking weird. But you know what? A lot of people probably are like that. And you know, yeah. I, I don't know. Like there's, there's definitely a certain level of, of neuroticism <laughs> going my on guitarist, here. But, uh, but my guitarist for Farouk Phil, he <laughs> always like, will say when, every time we've had a video interview or any kind of video that he's in on, I could tell that he's, he's not that comfortable and he doesn't have to be, you know what I mean? Um, but he always does that before every video. And it really does help break the tension when he's like, right before they shoot, he'll look at me and go, I don't know what to do with my hands and put his hands up. Like <laughs> Will Ferrell does. And it automatically just makes me feel comfortable because it feels my best friend. That's my brother. And like, I always have to be the front of stuff. I have to be the talking guy. Right. For Farouk. Uh-huh. Um, it's something I wanted to mention about them real quick. My bad is I, I really appreciate that you were like saying like you're able to do these things with Farouk. Uh, I feel like Farouk is an amazing band that I get to write lyrics for and do vocals for. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. a lot of people say my band, my band. We all say my band because it's a habit. I helped found the band with Phil, but like I feel privileged to be with them. And I don't think that like a lot of what they do musically reflects on me and so i, I want to give some credit to those guys in farouk um because like if they sucked no matter what i did it would not be good and the fact that they're so advanced and i've had i'd have to rise, rise to the occasion the any praise that i get for farouk has to go like a lot to to them you know our drummer eric drummed on heat and um you know phil did uh, all the guitars um and brandon you know, did some of the guitars on Heat and uh, our bass player, Adam, you know, those guys at the time, we have a new lineup now, but those guys at the time really put it down on Heat. Uh, our engineer, they they all did these things to set the table for me to made me look so much better than I actually am. Like, I'm privileged to be with those guys. And so uh, love to those guys, too, for the Farouk thing. The solo thing, I'll take some more credit for, but the Farouk thing that you got to, we got to give some to them. Because holy crap, that that is so much more than just me. And I, I wanted to show some love to them real quick. So thank you for that. Yeah, dude, there's a, a very talented group of guys. Like I'm, I'm not shitting you or blowing smoke up your ass. Like I listen to Heat all the way through and there's not a single track on it where, you know, I mean, because there'll be some really great albums that you can get where, you know, there'll be like one song where you're like, ugh, kind of got to get through this one. Or just hit the next button. <laughs> Something like that, you know? But like... No, not on heat. No way, dude. And like, uh, I mean, I've listened to everything you guys have on Spotify and I haven't hit a song that I didn't like. And so fucking, I I like it, dude. (laughs) Like it is, it is so rad. You guys are super talented and you guys really fucking kick ass. Thank you, man. I'm just going to say Philip Camacho. He's, he's our, he's our, uh, he's our dad. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how to put it. He is like I may be the face of the band, the mouthpiece, whatever, but he's our backbone. And no matter the lineup changes we had or the things we've done, like none of it happens without Philip Camacho at all. He's the guy that convinced me to start the band with him. He's like I said, my best friend, my brother. Uh, you know, 
And like, yeah, Philip Camacho is if anything you heard was like solid or dope, his hands were on it, you know, That's when it comes awesome. to Farouk. How long ago did and, you guys form Farouk? Ooh, uh, I believe in 2009 or 10, there was a reunion show of one of my old bands, Prove It. I wasn't really cool with any of the members from that band so i enlisted phil him being the most solid and easy to work with dude on earth to play guitars for that we had a band together too so we ended up putting our old band songs and my old band songs together in one set to play like reunion show like house shows here in fresno um and then like he liked the lineup but he was like dude we should start a new band and i was pretty reluctant at the time um and he was like, nah, man, it's not going to be like before because I'm going to help and I'm going to be like a leader here. And and I was like, oh, word, because like being in a band sometimes is usually like there's an alpha and then everybody else having to freaking follow suit. And and be the organ. There's one organized person and then a bunch of like kittens that you have to corral, you know, a basket of cats that you have to just continually put back into the basket. <laughs> Yeah, I got and you. Phil was like, Phil was like, nah, man, if it's me and you, it'll be solid. And we'll make sure that whoever else we bring into the band is solid like that, too. And so, uh, you know, I trusted him and we started sending riffs back and forth. And I want to say 2009, 2010. And then by uh, late 2011, I think. No, late 2010, Halloween of 2010, we had our first show at a local pro wrestling event. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then it was just off to the races from there. So we're old. <laughs> <laughs> so w what is you guys' songwriting process like? Do you and Phil work together on it? Or, or is it more he's, you know, coming up with, with, with uh, like music and, and you're writing lyrics for it? It's It's been different throughout the years. I know our first six songs were like a hodgepodge of me and him sending back uh, emails of quote unquote riffage. So literally just guitar riffs, unorganized guitar riffs. And then we get together and, and piece the songs together. That was like most of our first album. Some some of the songs happened when I was jamming with our drummer, Eric, at the time. Um, you know, Pappy, our old guitarist, would contribute a couple of um, riffs. And we kind of, Phil and I would always be the guys to piece stuff together and put stuff together. By the time our second album happened, Phil was like, he took us all into, we were terrified because we all respect Phil so much. That whenever he talks or says something, we pay a thousand percent attention. And out of practice, he took us into his car and he's like, I need to talk to you guys about something. And we're like, what is going on? Took all five of us into his car and put a CD in and it's five new songs that sound just like us, but better. And we're like, what's this? And he's like, this is our new album. We're working on a new album now. Learn these and then get ready for some more stuff. And we were like, okay, he had done, <laughs> he had done uh, digital drums both guitars and bass for I for for four or five songs. Holy and shit. Like, and he was like, this is what we're doing now. And I was like, yes, sir. This was in maybe 2013, somewhere around there. And that's how the faction happened. And he kept writing songs. And he actually intimidated me out of writing songs for a second because in the first album, I had written some completely by myself. He had written some completely by himself, and then we'd done some together. Where he would bring his guitar, I would put the drums together, and we would kind of arrange them together. 
when the faction happened, he put out he sent the first four songs were ridiculous, like way over my head. So good. And he I was like, Well, I can't write like this. And he was like, Yeah, you can. I learned all this from you. And I was like, What? And that's <laughs> when I came to the realization that me and him were both trying to impress each other. And so 99% of the songs are us trying to uh, impress each other. Uh, our our uh, drummer, Eric, would give us a couple of guitar riffs that we would turn into songs. But all of it was just like, oh, yeah, I wrote a riff that sounds like something Eric would write. Or Phil would be like, oh, this is this is the part I wrote that I know that you would write. And like there are whole songs on Heat that are basically a tribute to Phil Camacho in musically. Like, uh, you know the song Stone Cold Steve Hawking? Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope that's one of them. I love that track. <laughs> I, I wrote I wrote 99% of that on guitar. I wrote that part. I wrote that, but I couldn't play it that well. But really, that's just me trying to be like Phil. Straight up. That's all that is. Fuck. And so, like, that's I, awesome, I feel like dude. Our, our process really is, like, how am I going to get a rise out of Philly? How am I going to get him to go, ooh, like, oh, you know? Because he's he's a, a very straightforward, like, real dude. And when he shows any kind of enthusiasm, he means it. And that's my whole life goal is just to get that out of him because he's the most sincere cat I've ever met. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know if that explains our process, but we do things by ourselves. We do things together. And it's, I feel like our process is just as all over the place as our actual final product. <laughs> no, dude, that makes a lot of sense because I mean, it's, it's a bunch of talented guys together that you guys all respect each other and you're trying to rise to each other's level. I mean, it's like, it's the epitome of steel sharpened steel. Yeah, I guess so. And that's such a metal thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is the part where Steve would go, sir. <laughs> it was our oh sniff moment, right? <laughs> no, sir. Every time sir. I send him like a bad pun, it just, sir, in all caps, and then dot, dot, dot. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> you oh, did that. man. <laughs> I love Steve Hudson. That guy's so awesome. Me too. Big fan. Um, okay. So yeah, let, let's talk about your solo work then. So, so your first album, that one is available on Spotify, uh, on the clock. On yeah. The clock. yeah. And that one. Um, okay. So yeah, that one came out in 2015 and then a new one's coming out on Monday and that one's going to be clock called clocked out, right? Yeah. Excellent. And I'm, as soon as it releases, I'll have it because I bought it on Bandcamp this morning. Okay, you don't have to lie to the people, dude. No, I did. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm saying you already have it. I know, but it's it's not. It's I don't own it. I didn't put money in the artist's pocket. <laughs> and it's I like I had to do that so much. That was like a cool start to my morning, man. I was already stoked to do this today, <laughs> and like seeing that was super nice. I very much appreciate the support. Like, yeah, just, dude, you're very welcome. I, yeah, so the, yeah, the first album clock uh, on the clock. I did this to myself. I'm so sorry. The first album on the clock uh, was from Hypergiant Records. Uh, my friend Caden, much love, uh, helped get that out. And this is that was another record that was like years and years and years in the making. Came out in 2015, but those instrumentals were made in 2010, at around the same time we were putting together Farouk's music. 
Um, a good friend of mine, Arthur Bueno, who's an amazing guitarist, bass player, and human, and podcaster, and literally anything else he does, he's great at it. He was like, hey, we should put some instrumentals together. So we did. And he came over with his guitar, and we just, he would come through with some food and some tea and some guitar riffs, and we would put instrumentals together, and we did like six of those or five of those. And then they kind of sat there. And we were just happy with them. We'd listen to them, you know? And then I got the deal from Hypergiant in 2013. And they're like, well, we want a release from you. Duh. We just signed you. And I was like, okay. Uh, I have these instrumentals that all sound like they go together. And I was super sad at the time. So I wrote a bunch of songs that went with the instrumentals. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, added a couple other tracks. And boom. It was out. It was out there in 2015. At Chronicles. My... Uh, my brain and what it was going through between the years of 2010 and 2014, 2013, somewhere around there. But it actually didn't, yeah, didn't get recorded and released till 15. And then, you know, clocked out is the same deal on the clock came out. And then between then and now is Chronicles what's been going on in my head until, you know, March 1st, basically. And they tie together. Did you notice that with the album art? Yes, I did notice that with the album art that they looked similar and um dude, I I can really tell a progression in you as well from like cuz on the clock is like excellent. Like I love it. I love every track on it. And then clocked out like it does feel like it's a a, a step up. Like dude, I I, I can't wait till Monday to where it's easy for me to listen to that album on repeat <laughs> <laughs> because you like have to deal with Google drive. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I don't know. Like I, I was telling my wife, I was like, you know, I've had a lot of cool things happen from, from being in this podcast, you know, from like meeting podcasting heroes and, you know, just, you know, little, little things that, you know, it, it doesn't feel like that sort of thing would happen. You know, if, if, if I wasn't hosting Startcast, but but you sending me that link and letting me hear that music like almost a full week before it came out, like I don't know, that was, that was like a top. That's one of the top moments <laughs> for wow, this show man, because, I dude, really... that was. I mean, I I have a job where where I work from home and 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 while I'm while I'm on the clock, <laughs> you know, like my <laughs> like I am I am buried. Like I I don't have ever have a single moment where I twiddle my thumbs during the day and go, I wonder when the next email is going to come in. That never happens. Like, like I right. could like realistically work like 16 hour days every day and I'd probably still have a pile of work. Like it, it's just never ending pile of work. <laughs> and, and so like having something like that to listen to, like, especially that day when I started off with Farouk, dude, starting off at like seven in the morning with like super heavy oh, shit. Yo, just in you're my coming beats. in hot, bro. That's too much. <laughs> I'm like typing emails like, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know? hitting, hitting space bar super hard with your thumb. <laughs> Oh yeah, dude! I had to replace my keyboard at the end of the day. I was like, yes. "Shit, I don't know if I can listen to Farouk when I'm typing." <laughs> you can't use that stuff sparingly, man. <laughs> but then when when I transferred, when transitioned over to DED, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be on repeat all day." And dude, no lie, oh. those, those two albums were on repeat all day, and and is just like, like I don't know the the energy you're putting out in them, like it, it's perfect, like. Like back in the day when I used to listen to like mushroom jazz and it was like 
it was so interesting to listen to and it was like it was like the perfect music for just like driving or just like chilling or something like that and that's that's like this falls into that same zone for me where your your ded stuff is just it's so easy to listen to and like every single song on it was was enjoyable um dude on your new album too man that you've got some shit on there that it's like it's funny and like when you were saying earlier about me like you could tell i was smiling when i was talking about characters there's parts like we're in front man i'm like he's having so much fun in the studio right now and like like that that like transitions through the art and it comes through and it like wow and and then you know i'm listening to you like i'm the front man fuck your monitors like, I'm <laughs> laughing my ass off I'm like yeah dude fuck your monitors <laughs> and like i don't I, it's just the 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 energy that you're putting out in it is so good and and, and, and like i will i will never get over how wild it is the, that the stuff with Farouk is is such an excellent energy and it's such high energy and then the stuff with DED is such an excellent energy and and it's like just this great like just grooving energy you know like it's I don't know it's just there's no other way for me to put it it's just something that I literally could listen to on repeat like in the background like all day and so well, I, my hat's off to you dude <laughs> thank you so much man well I think the energy thing is an artistry thing that I've kind of found myself in where like with Farouk, I, I talked about the songwriting process, like instrumentals, but like the lyric writing process is different. And that's mostly me. Every once in a while, one of the guys will give me like a phrase or like something that, Hey, may, maybe we should have a song about this. This is kind of crazy. And I'll look into it and be like, Oh yeah, that is crazy. Let's, let's talk about it. You know? Um, but the energy part is really just matching my instrumental. So with Farouk, like I said, I had to rise to the occasion. For heat, I had to learn new vocal techniques. I actually had to learn how to correctly scream without making my throat bleed because that was happening for the first two albums. Whoa. Yeah, because I was just yelling. I just get pissed off and yell. And it's cool because it's sincere. But one, it could end up sounding really bad. Two, it's kind of difficult to record something like that. And three, it did some damage to my voice, which is why my voice will crack till the day I die. And it's because, like, I didn't – I wasn't doing warm-ups. Oh, God, my voice is extra cracky now. I wasn't doing warm-ups. <laughs> I didn't know how to warm up. I had no techniques. And people would be like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm expressing myself. That's the thing is if you're so wrapped up in technique and – sound and all that i feel like sometimes you lose the sincerity but with screaming and yelling you have to learn to balance them you have to use your technique to express yourself you know so i was just matching what they do every time every song that they've ever shown me every instrumental that's ever happened from them from farouk it's told me how to be on that song i'm listening to the instrumental you know and oh, then for, sure. for the for the DED stuff, that first album um, on the clock, Arthur Bueno created that energy with his guitar, his guitar work, his bass work. And all I did was match it with the drums and percussion and the extra little things I put in. But most of that was him and his energy that he put into there. And then same thing for on the clock. I just happened to be going through some things for that time. So I was, it's not like I could be stoked about anything until that last song, Thank You, at the end. That was the last song I did, and I actually recorded that one when I was in a better place in life. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just matched. I just matched again. And then with clocked out, I try to use it as a transition from on the clock, which was more of a, I, I call it a downer, but it's just emotional. It's real. It's very uh, raw, you know? And I, I try to use these songs as a transition back up to how I used to be before on the clock happened because I was still rapping under this name, DED or VXDEDXV, whichever, like before on the clock came out. But I put out like these party songs about not drinking and not smoking. But I, I basically modeled them after like little John crunk songs. <laughs> but they'd be like when I was on MySpace and stuff. And I'd have, I had so much fun before I had to like really be an adult and go through things that almost every adult goes through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I used clocked out kind of like it has that transition. That's why it, it, the order you listen to is kind of important because the, the early songs kind of sound like on the clock. And then like the last few songs are like this different energy where I am smiling again, because honestly, once we hit frontman, dude, I'm having so much fun in the studio with Javi at on captain recordings like i'm in his booth he's one of my best friends we joke constantly a lot of the 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 stuff that you're hearing before the songs after the songs are not rehearsed they're not written it's literally my conversations with him or me trying to make him laugh or trying to make jokes so bad that he gets mad and stops recording (laughs) no it comes through like that dude I, i felt that listening to it so that frontman thing at the end of frontman with the little voice was literally me impersonating a, a kind of like a mixture of a few vocalists I've seen um, at shows. like, And this is all the way up and down the spectrum from your locals all the way up to the big bands and the annoying <laughs> shit that they do. And basically I was narrating one of them. And the, like the, cause my, my guy Javi, he's, he was a, a sound guy at one of the good venues here in Fresno. So like I'd, I'd be at all the shows kicking it with him every different kind of show there was. If Javi was doing sound there, I was there in, in the you know, in the sound booth kicking it with him. And I'd see the annoying shit he had to go through. And at that time when I recorded Frontman and that part of Frontman, I had him and uh my homie Ernie in the studio with me. Ernie is the was the manager at that venue. So both of them knew exactly who I was talking about when I started doing this stuff. And again, it was just me just having fun me trying to make them laugh and everything from the good time songs were that and i owe that to the work that javi put into that studio he had just built that studio when i started recording the final versions to it and i mean built like put walls in put flooring in uh put glass in like separated rooms uh sound conditioned put lighting in like he built with his hands, you know? Nice. And I was privileged to get to work in there. And he was like, he told me, and it it made me cry, literally, like, one of the reasons I wanted to do this and get it done was to do this record with you in it like this. Oh, that's awesome. We actually re-recorded all of the songs, um, just the main vocals mostly, and his new setup as, like, like one of the first records he did in there. You know? That's really cool. like it's a tribute to him. He really, his studio really sets the tone that makes, makes it really easy for me to just be sincere and have a good time. And I, I can't give that guy enough. Thanks. Um, him, him and Philip Camacho are like 
like the Farouk side, it's Phil. And on the DED side, it's Javi. And him and um, Ernie and my lady, Aaron, all really saved Clocked Out. Aaron helped direct the art and kept on. She was like our A&R. Like, hey, what are the next DED sessions? He needs to get these songs done. And like, she's not like, she's not like mean or anything like that. And it was cool to see her like go into this new position of like, yo, I really care about your music. I'm going to show you by making sure that you're not neglecting it for all the other things you're doing. Cause I was still taking commissions for beats and, and, and production and mixes and mastering. And I was still like co-writing songs for people and doing all this other things, all these other things, you know? Mm-hmm. And she, she really made sure that I didn't give up on this project. Her and Javi were giant in making sure. And Ernie was always in my ear. Like, dude, I want to hear that new DED. What are you doing? You know? And, Aaron caught me one time. I was driving to Hobbies, and sh- and she's like, uh, "What what are you doing?" You know, I'm like, "Oh, I'm driving, listening to old music, listening to old songs." She's like, "What old song?" And I'm like, "Oh, the Clocked Out stuff." And she's like, "That's not old. It's not out yet." And I was like, "Oh, fuck." <laughs> <laughs> got me. It's not old. It's not out yet. It's new to everybody else. These songs are old to me, but new to everybody else. And re-recorded them, made them all new to me. I reproduced uh, Frontman twice, I think. I reproduced Unfollow two times. It was at different tempos and stuff. Shout out to Hobby for giving me the freedom to really like figure out what the heck I wanted to do with these songs. Because I put him through a lot of unnecessary work just to find the final product. But hey, it looks like it paid off because dudes like you dig it. And that's awesome to me. Dude, Unfollow really... is so much fun. <laughs> I wish I could have used the samples that I wanted to. I had a lot of samples uh that I couldn't get, we couldn't get cleared in time. That just, uh, so I had to reproduce. Oh, make it last. The last track too, I had to completely reproduce because the samples weren't going to clear. Oh, Unfollow wow. was originally uh, sampled from uh, Paul Revere. Yeah. I, dude, I was going to ask you, is is Paul Revere some of what you sampled? Because you could hear that. Is It almost sounds like a reverse bass beat or something like that. Um, So their song had a reverse hi-hat pattern in it. Um, the original version had like the original version of on follow was straight up sampled. Like I pulled pieces out of the song and, um, then I found out that, you know, you can kind of get caught up for that. I, I used such little bits of it that I don't know if I would have got caught up, but I didn't want to put the label at risk because it could be a violation of, um, the terms of service for our distributor. And I didn't want to put any of the other artists, S.E. Hudson included, at risk by me just being careless with sampling. Yeah. So I basically made a reverse hi-hat pattern that was reminiscent of that but was not that. <laughs> I you know picked what I mean? up what you were doing, man. Like, and hoping that – because like, I don't know if you can copyright a reversed hi-hat, you know? Yeah. No, I mean it's – you know, you're not sampling the song. You're just doing something, you know, you know s- similar parallel i don't yeah, i don't know i mean it's it, hip-hop i swear to god it, no you, right there me, that's hip-hop never happened to me <laughs> that'd be the best thing that ever happened if something like that were to happen um <laughs> but yeah i also had you know how they start the song with the now that one he starts his verse with like a now oh yeah now. yeah i actually sampled that out and i put it in certain places in the song and i pulled that too Yes, because it's now. Here's a little story I got yeah. to tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. That, I, I, that's another formative album for me. I had that on cassette tape, and then eventually bought it on CD. 
yeah, they're a big, it was funny because I rarely listen to them on my own time, but they're always around me and everybody was always like, yo, you kind of remind me of Beastie Boys because you do like the rock thing, but you do the rap thing. And I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> <I'm me. laughs> I used to get mad and then I, and then like I learned that, oh, they're like trailblazers in the game and I should probably take that as a compliment instead of being an idiot. Oh, th- yeah, th- I I would say that'd be a huge compliment. I mean, if you're getting yeah. compared to Beastie Boys, like, holy shit. Of course I didn't. I can't compute compliments, right? <laughs> to, go, to go back on the thing about, like, not getting a lot of love locally, that's, that's like a half-truth. I think out here and just in any local scene, when you come up local, you have to earn it. And it's 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 one of those things in my city, there's just so much going on. It's so cool out here. That you can't just create something and get support. It doesn't happen out here like that. You have to create something. You have to be at it for years, and you have to kick ass at it consistently. And then when you do get that support, it's relentless, and it's dope. But like, I think the years of pre-getting support and getting hate has grizzled me in some way. Because every local scene, from the battle rap scene to the local hip-hop scene, to the local metal and hardcore scene, it's it's a grind at first, and and you don't you don't get sometimes any respect at all until you really prove it. And I think that's tight for building artists, but it can also uh, emotionally wreck you. So when somebody's finally giving you your flowers, you don't want to uh, accept them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I totally get that because it's like you got to like steal yourself because I mean I I don't. I, I think it's part and parcel of just being artist and, and creative is that, you know, there's a, a, a sensitive side to that as well. And, yeah. and, you know, art being the way it is, you know, subjective and it hits different people different ways. Like, I don't know. Critique is, you know, it can be a weird thing. It, it's something that I personally struggle with because like when I do things like do reviews on number one comic books, like, I, sometimes I'll want to say something funny just to make my co-host laugh, but it'll, I know yeah. it's at the expense of like the book or the artist. And I know how much work and, and money and just, you know, how much of themselves they'd have to put into it just to get that number one comic book out there for me to what yeah. Alice Lee make fun of. And so like, I, I, I try to never twist a knife on reviews and I, I pray to God that I'm <laughs> getting enough karmic <laughs> points out there, <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's, art's not going to hit everybody the same way. And so when you do read reviews that you're like, Oh, I disagree with that with every bit of my body. I mean, how can that not harden you over time to then, then when those same people are, are giving you accolades, it's like, yeah, fuck you. I remember when you didn't like me, you know, it's, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's gotta be a hard thing. Oh, you guys are really doing it now. Huh? It's like get get out of my face. I hate you. <laughs> well, the like, thing we were is, really too, doing it all yo, along, dickhead. I will really take critique. Like if somebody's like, "Yo, uh, the vocal is a little high," or uh, "Yo, he was a little sloppy on his delivery," or uh, you know things of that sort. Like, dude, I will take that all day, every day. But like early on, coming up, like you know, the internet was a different place ten years ago, mm-hmm. and, and even more than that. And like it was more of like you're soft or this is gay, and it's just like what Ugh. like. Like, what are you guys talking? Like, is this what you're doing with your time? You know, like I would have much rather preferred like, yo, like dude's not ready. You know what I mean? Or like I did, I did find some reviews of heat 
that like I really took in like I really like at first I was like a bit salty because like some of these like very metalhead purists some of them I noticed the younger ones they don't really they don't really rock with Farouk but like anybody who's like maybe in their late 20s or older appreciates us you know what I mean but like I found a review you know, relentlessly Googling Farouk, trying to see if people are actually listening to this and, and, and feeling it. And this guy was like this metal connoisseur, dude. I don't know how the hell he decided to listen to what we're doing, but we're not like the kind of metal he listened to. This guy was like, I looked at his other reviews and it's like those band names where you can't read the, the logo. And <laughs> yeah. it's, always, it's like some really sad, like I'm going to be single forever type music where it's like, nobody's good. Nobody could shake their ass to this. Uh-huh. you know what i mean and it's like you know all the the guys that live in you know these suburbs but they make music like they're from swedish sweden or something you know <laughs> and it's like nothing but blast beats and then he's reviewing farouk and he's angry every time i do anything remotely rapish you know what i mean yeah no it sounds like that guy's just and stuck I look, in one little narrow piece yeah. of a genre and if anything's outside of that he's like ooh that's but just what I i'm did, taking from you so far i did farm some good good like feedback from him though even though he was so offended by the fact that i would possibly rap on something and it's like dude like i was an mc before i was a frontman for a hardcore band like i was freestyling and i was battling and i was you know what i mean i was making music like i was making rap music before that you know? Yeah. Well, and also what, the, dude, I, I remember listening to like primer 55 back when I was in high school in like the late nineties. And it was like, yeah. that was like a, a rap rock type thing. So it isn't like, I mean, this is something that's been around for a while. So, I mean, right. Some of those just, the people that are like, Oh, I can't have my metal like that. It's like, what? God, go wear black and be sad. You fucking weird. He was, he was wearing black and being sad, but <laughs> he did, he did give it, I think, two out of four or three out of five stars. And I was, I was, I was lightweight salty. But then when I read his review system, I was like, Oh, this is actually a shining review for what he does. That's that's cool. That, and that's one of the things, if you're going to get feedback or review, you need to realize where it's coming from. That is very true right there. It's double edged. Like, yeah, like it's, it's hard. Like, to be honest, like it's really hard for me to accept positive feedback from my loved ones or people like I, like that I know care for me. Because I have a feeling that they're also encouraging me with their feedback. So I don't know if it's tr- like 100% no. honest. Dude, I 100% feel what you're saying right there. <laughs> and like, like, like Steve Hudson's feedback keeps me alive. You know what I mean? Sometimes. But like I also know that he's S.E. Hudson, one of the most positive and like sweet dudes on earth. So sometimes you need those sad black metal dudes to, to <laughs> tell you like it is. Because what he did give me is, yes, he gave Farouk like a, a three-star review, which for his system is actually good. It's like not bad. I don't hate it. Like that's what it was. And I think what it was is he liked it more than he wanted to. But the other thing he did is he he kind of picked apart our songwriting styles and how we do we do kind of move from genre to genre in one song sometimes. And how that could be kind of lumpy every once in a while if you're not ready for it. You know what I mean? And it, it really did help me write some new music and it really did help me improve is like 
Yeah, that can be jarring. If you don't know Farouk and if you're not ready for it, you don't know that that's what we do. It could really throw you off if you're really into the groove, you know? Yeah, and I, I we, guess I can we see think where that's that that, coming from. And we, paint that, we paint that as dynamics, but other people could paint it as rough or lumpy. Okay, you see, and, yeah. and I'm with you guys because, like, when I was listening to the Heat the album the first time, and that first song it gets to where you switch over and start doing the rap stuff, that was, like, the moment where I kind of, like, push back in my chair. I'm like, oh, here we go. This is what we're doing. Like, this, like, it just went up a level for me. I was like, this just got even more awesome. I didn't think this was going to happen. But, you know, I yeah. mean, I suppose also if, if you are coming from more of a traditionalist standpoint and, and you review things based off your own, you know, prism and all that, you know, and, and more yeah. so kudos to you for being unable to, you know, be salty at it first and then, you know, have that emotional maturity to, to look at it again and say, okay, there is value in this because I, I know me, I've gotten some, like what you were saying about, you know, it's like you, you, you cherish the the feedback and support you get from families, but there is that always lingering doubt in the background. Like, are, are they just supporting me because, you know, because I'm their loved one. And, and so when you do get, you know, that validation from outside sources and especially like, you know, like hearing you, you say nice things about the book and, and Steve saying the nice things that he said to me about, you know, I mean, those, those sorts of reviews, like really mean the world. And, and, and I haven't gotten any, good constructive negative ones yet like the the negative things i've gotten so far are more like nitpicky like why is your main character using a 45 instead of a nine millimeter when a nine millimeter clearly has a higher magazine capacity it's like get the fuck out of here that's some dumb shit i don't want to help me with anything that's (laughs) what that told me i don't want to enjoy a book (laughs) Exactly. because there there's a million artistic choices we can make and I, as a consumer, I used to be very critical myself, and I actually wasn't watching wrestling for a long time because I was very critical. And then I realized, wow, do I even want to enjoy this if this is how I'm acting when I'm watching it? And then it changed my whole mind, you know what I mean? And I learned how to enjoy it again, and now I'm having the time of my life watching wrestling all the time. Dude, And almost 100%. that's all I watch. But that's the thing is like the overall two that I think you and I could really benefit from, I know I can is that somebody took their time on this, they consumed it, and they took the time to write something. Whether it was bad or good, we took a moment of their time, and we they can never get that back whether they want to give it back or not. <laughs> I like that. I, I really like that. that, that <laughs> I'll give you an it. example. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've told this story to anybody like on a podcast or anything like that, any kind of public media, but my friends know, you know? And are you ready for story time? Oh, yeah. Do it, man. Okay. Actually, would it be okay if I took a bathroom break real quick? Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. I'll hit pause here. Thank you. I've been up and down the state and across the country. Played a lot of stages. Made a little money. Did a bunch of things that I thought was tough to do. And I see this new wave, but to me it ain't nothing new. They were like... I was like, how could this shit still exist? Cause they're getting the feeling, killing the kids while I'm keeping it real when I can't get big shit. Guess the image is a big deal when the substance ain't there. Some cats didn't know they could get boxed up when they fuck with a square. Oh yeah. It's got your man Danny Cabbage with the clotheslines. Ain't tied up on these suits. I play my cards and I won't fold mine. Bro, I'm just trying to let you know that you've been told lies. They call me childish, but I've been woke since 09. Like, did you know? all right we are back all right so story time in i want to say 2013 or so 
somewhere around there, 2014. Um, I woke up to a bunch of threatening tweets, like from randoms. And I used to get those here and there, like, you know, throughout life, uh, being a, doing battle rap and all kinds of other things. And, uh, you know, some of my friends would do it too. And it was funny, you know, Mm -hmm. this was from strangers. Like, uh, you and I are enemies now and I want to kill you. And, um, I hope I never see you in person. And how could you be so stupid? And I'm like, uh, what is going on? You know? Yeah, for real. This is like in October of like 2013, 2014. And I'm like, what did I do? Like, I'm trying to think like, and these are randoms, mostly women I noticed. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is not good. You know, what's going on? So I finally find a screenshot and then a comment. And it's a screenshot of celebrities meet, read mean tweets. And I had tweeted something about John Mayer maybe a year or two before. <laughs> and he's reading it on celebrities read, read mean tweets in 2014. And it's got my Twitter handle and then the comments I made about him. <laughs> and I'm like, you when? what threats because you made fun of John Mayer? <laughs> But here's the thing. I didn't even tag John Mayer, dude. Like, I didn't hashtag John Mayer. I didn't do none of that. I don't know what production assistant found this tweet, but kudos to them for, like, really, like, digging deep, yo. So I kind of traced it back and been like, I don't even remember tweeting this. And then I'm like, when would I even talk about John Mayer? And then I I realized that prior to this, of course, I was a – watching the grammys or something of the sort and i was very angry at the time because it was like i want to be here but also i'm not doing anything to get there but also i wish i was there you know (laughs) yeah totally so i'm watching this cat shows up this dude john mayer this fool john mayer shows up to i I don't know i'm I'm gonna say the grammys because that's what i'm guessing it is and he's his tux is tacky he looks wasted he looks like he doesn't even want to be there like he's disheveled and he's just like unenthusiastic and he was like presenting or something, you know? Uh-huh. And I was so angry at the fact that he's living out my dreams and he's up there. Like he doesn't care. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And, and so I tweeted something to the effect of, you know, John Mayer looks like a booze soaked turd wrapped in the dumb and dumber tux <laughs> and just went about my day. Cause I was watching it with somebody who was like yo i don't i'm tired of your comments i don't want to hear you like you know if you're gonna watch this stop bullshitting because i was just roasting everybody (laughs) who was coming onto the screen i was just going in because that's how i would watch tv back then just i'd talk through it i was very not fun to be around sometimes my brain was always going so like i was in battle rapper mode and i was looking at everybody just roasting everybody no matter what and that person i was with was like not having it so as an alternative i decided to live tweet you know, as people did at the time. So I was just roasting everybody that was watching on the Grammys and the John Mayer one caught the, caught the thing. And that's, that was like the time that taught me, like, like after finding out it was John Mayer, seeing the clip and then realizing, holy shit, I had a moment of John Mayer's time where he knows what I felt. (laughs) I don't care about John. Like I, at the time, like I don't give a shit about John Mayer. You know what I mean? Like I'm just some dude being mean, you know? But in the grand scheme of the world is, yeah, I got threatened, and yeah, I said something mean, and it got put on a public forum, 
But the fact is, like, I had a moment of his time that he'll never get back. (laughs) (laughs) And at that time, I reveled in it because I was like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I did or what I found out or what I learned. But there was a moment where I was like, fuck John Mayer. And I don't know why. (laughs) But, like, when you're, like, the mind state I was in, I remember, like, that was my thing was, like, oh, this person said this in an interview, fuck them. And then like, I just like would always try to like diss them in any point like possible, you know what I mean? And I don't know what, <laughs> what I was on. I'm different than that now, kind of. Um, but like, yeah, that was my mind state back then. And that is my story time about taking somebody's time from them and never them never getting it back. <laughs> Every negative reviewer that we get is going to be somebody whose time we took. And whether they want to or not, our perspective will always have touched their brain. Yeah, no, that's super valid. <laughs> and I was on, and I was on mean tweets, and people like don't always know that. Uh, I was on mean <laughs> tweets, and anytime it gets re-aired or anytime somebody shares a Facebook video or something, I will get another tweet. Now it's usually from my friends. Like I can, still can't believe that you did this, dude. What an idiot! Like, you know, <laughs> I can't or believe that my... people gave you death threats off that. What a bunch of fucking wieners. Dude, John Mayer fans, female John Mayer fans, of course. If John- I was a female John Yo, if I was a female John Mayer fan, I'd want to fuck me up. Like I I'd, I'd hate me. That's you don't Do you do you remember like, that whack ass shit that he said in that Rolling Stones interview years ago? Maybe that's why I was like fuck John Mayer. Talk to me about it. Dude, he said I don't remember verbatim what he said, but this is something that I'll be an old man on my deathbed and I'll be laying there thinking, what did John Mayer mean? <laughs> And he said he was looking for the Joshua tree of vaginas. Something he could camp out on for a weekend. What? What does that mean? What does that mean, John? I don't know. Whoa. But he said something weird like that. Whoa, ew. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for the appropriate response to that. Wow, ew. The Joshua tree of vaginas. That's my little brother. That's something he would say. Whoa, ew. My not little brother. He's in his twenties, but he's my baby. Oh man! Uh, otherwise, my my only, th- you know what? The other thing I always think of with John Mayer is when he was in that sketch on the Chappelle Show, where he was yes. playing guitar in a, in a in a barber shop. <laughs> the guy's like, I "Hey, like shut the fuck up!" <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Is is like like the band surrounding Farouk and like friends of ours. We would call like the mosh parts fight riffs because of that. <laughs> there's a part where he yeah because there's a part in that skit where he's like play the fight riff play the fight riff and he starts playing like something that sounds like a circle pit or like a mosh part you know and everybody starts going crazy so like there were like uh, there's a band from texas called insurgents if you like farouk you'll love insurgents i swear they're like if farouk was good like way better at what we did if farouk played guitars with more strings on them insurgents? that's what insurgents. sweet i'll check them out yeah Insurgents, I think it's spelled with a V instead of a U because metal. Okay. <laughs> They're so good. And the sweetest dudes on earth, we've got to play a few shows with them. And I think they were on a tour called like the Fight Riffs Forever Tour or something like that. <laughs> fight and I just like, yeah, I, I, I just thought that like describing like heavy parts as Fight Riffs was the coolest thing. And I, I feel like it came from around those guys in Insurgents. They're so dope. I hope they're still like doing more. I got to check up on them. <laughs> oh, man. My bad. Tangent time. No, no, that's what this show does. <laughs> this, dude, this goes all over the place here. 
Um, okay, I'm going to so, look forward to the S.E. Hudson one. My bad. Go ahead. No. <laughs> Dude, okay, yeah, to, to jump over to Steve real quick, his his um, his um EP that came out, The Gentleman, is so damn good too, man. I've been loving that. And and furthermore, I love that, that you are featured on one of his tracks and that he's on one of your tracks uh, on your new up, up, upcoming release. That is just so awesome. I, I love seeing you guys collaborate together because you sound so good together. I've been daydreaming about that happening for years. He sent me that song years ago. And it, dude, he, I owe him so much. He hit me up like, yo, Mr. Band Guy Battle Rapper, you know how he is. Like, he's going to show you all the love. Mm-hmm. How much, how much would you charge for a feature? And I was like, what? Like, it depends on who it is. Because I'll do features. And to be honest, I will charge sometimes if I don't know them, you know, well, or yeah. if, if, I, if my schedule doesn't permit, or if I have to pay for studio time, like I'll charge for a feature. There are other times where I won't, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, it all depends on who it's for. And he's like, it's for me on this song. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't charge for that. I didn't even listen to the song yet. I was like, there's no way I would charge you. And then he sent me to this. He sent me the song and it was fucking outstanding. Definitely didn't need me. And like. It was like I had to rise to the occasion. I had to make it happen, you know. And then I sent him Frontman. He liked Frontman a lot. And I was actually singing the hook on Frontman originally. And. uh I, I felt like he would sing it better, and he did, easily. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> so I was able to just take take my tracks out, put his tracks in, and it's it made me really fall in love with that song all over again. Because I was, like I said, there's a, there's an up and down with these songs, and you spend so much time with them. And you know, one of my one of my big homies, Danny Salas, told me to love the process, and I'd forgotten about that for a minute. So I'm, I'm glad he told me that later on, because I needed that. But yeah, dude, like there's going to be more of that. I can, I hate to be the big things coming head ass dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, we're doing some stuff. But like, yo, like now that this album, now that Clocked Out is out, um, on Captain Recordings is the team I'm with. Uh, we put out JD Garza Into the Woods, which is everywhere. And I helped co write, produce, uh, and mix and match of that with, with Javi. Javi helped a lot on that one too. And a couple of the guys in Farouk actually played on the – Javi's in Farouk as well. He's their bass player now. Oh, nice. He played a lot of the percussion and drums on that JD record. Um, and Phil, the mighty Phil Camacho, which you've heard his life story already by now, um, he played bass on it. But, like, I wrote the parts. So that came out, and then, you know, uh, The Gentleman came out through On Captain Recordings, which is tight, and Clocked Out is out. And now I get to make new music with JD and Steve. Oh, and I dude, am just, that's gonna be exciting. I'm over the moon. Like I'm bugging Steve constantly. We have ideas for covers. Um, and you know, there's, there's some things in the works where I'm trying to put together a compilation and it's going to be a mixture of the three artists that came out on, on Captain Recordings, myself, uh, Hudson and, uh, JD. And there's going to be more. If, if Steve will have me on anything, I'm there. And I, I'm confident in saying that anytime I ask him to do something, he's there because he's Steve Hudson, man, you know? <laughs> and and when he sent me when he sent me his tracks back for Frontman, I was like, okay, looks like I don't have to write hooks anymore or care about hooks. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I could just have you sing them. <laughs> and he was like, all right. <laughs> Dude, I had that thought while I was listening to, to Frontman. I was like, I hope I hear a lot more like this in the future. 
because uh, I mean, you know, and, and not to say that, that, you know, that Steve can't do, you know, like the, the verse parts and, and, and you can't do hooks. I mean, you guys are both so capable, but it's like one of the, like what I was saying earlier, the steel sharpening steel. Yes. You know, you guys are like and... coming together like the fucking Avengers. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's amazing. Like I can't wait to hear it. Like I haven't, I haven't heard any of, of you said it was JD Garza. Yeah, JD into the woods. Okay, yeah, I haven't. Uh, that's something I'm gonna have to look up then, because if, if you're I, recommending it, I'm probably gonna like it. Well, I, I mean, JD is an artist that would play shows with Farouk in his band. He went solo, and he went acoustic folk indie, and we still booked him on Farouk shows as not a metal guy. And he captivated every crowd by himself on stage. Wow. He's also an, an outstanding dude. I just love this guy to death. He's he's like my twin brother if he was raised in Hanford. And Hanford's a little city just north of us or south of us. My bad. <laughs> Roger. <laughs> uh, actually, the origination of Journey. I think Journey, some of Journey is from Hanford. Oh, no shit. Yeah. There you go. Don't so, stop uh, yeah. And JD, like, uh, we are always trying to work together and do stuff together because we dig each other's music. He loves Farouk and we love JD. And, uh, he was looking for some help on a record and I was like, I want to produce for you. And he let me produce one song and he loved it. And I said, okay, let's do a whole record now. And he said, yes. <laughs> and we did it. And I'm so proud of it. And it is the kickoff to the on Captain recordings, you know, uh, imprint. And it's funny that you say Avengers because we took some cues from Captain America in our logo and in our branding. If you look at the logo for On Captain. Uh oh. Is my computer down? <laughs> no, I'm here. I'm trying to I'm trying to find JD on Spotify here. Oh, it, you're gonna have to type you know what? I have my phone. I will send it to you. Perfect. Yeah, I was gonna say because yeah. dude, this sounds awesome. I gotta hear this. I'm very proud of it. This dude, really, it was so easy because all I did was just produce around his vocal. He wrote all the guitars and stuff like that. And then, like, I wrote the accompanying things with him. But the whole idea was just to to set a good stage for his vocal because this guy can sing his ass off. And one of my dreams that I'm trying to make happen, so I'm putting it out into the world on StartCast where the things really happen. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get S.E. Hudson and J.D. on a song together. I want to see how their voices mix. Nice, dude. I hope I hear that someday. It, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> dude, anything you're excited to work about and like, especially like collaborating with, 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 you know, I haven't heard JD, but, but knowing Steve, like, dude, yeah, I, w I want to hear whatever you guys are going to do. Cause I bet it'll be amazing. What's cool about, thank you, man. What's cool about these three releases is that they're all so different. Um, with Into the Woods, it's it's nothing like The Gentleman, you know? But, like, I like this. I like, you know, I mean, you're listening to Farouk, dude. We like uh, being eclectic, you know? <laughs> That's our thing. And so getting them together is a dream of mine. And honestly, with those two artists as a producer uh, and a songwriter, like, as much as they'll have me, I will work with them. You know what I mean? Like, I totally understand if they have to go elsewhere for production and recording and all those other things. But, like, it's if they're calling me, if they're using my number, I'm picking up. Like, for Steve, 
Like as much as he'll have me, every feature he's asking, I'm doing. Every mix he needs help with, I'm doing it. There's no, oh, let me see if I have time. No, nah, there ain't none of that with him and JD. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these guys have helped grow me as an artist. And I don't think um, Clocked Out would be what it was without my time working with both of them. Because I took a break from doing Clocked Out to do Into the Woods with JD. I actually put everything on, like JD's music and his artistry was so like compelling to me that I stopped my own projects to do Into the Woods with him. Because he, he's that good in my eyes. And he's, like I said, an outstanding human, great to work with. That's so much awesome, fun. And, and accepts my roasts like, <laughs> like such a good sport. Like, he, like, he's one of the people that, that could, could punch me a couple of times, and I'd be like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's a level of respect right there, man. Um, yeah. it, it's so rad though that you've got that sort of like artistic support system around you and and it sounds like it's it's really like really been to your benefit and it's like and, and as that support system you know naturally has grown stronger like you as an artist have, have, have grown stronger absolutely dude like i can't thank all my people enough like yes we're talking about the solo on the clock but it's Solo in the fact that, yeah, I produced – how many songs are there? Eight? <laughs> I think there are eight. I, pro I, I produced all of them, but I didn't make all the instrumentals. Arthur Bueno made the second – the instrumental for the second song, you know? And I, I did like the, the mixing and the producing with Javi. Javi actually played some drums on that one too. He, he, re, he redid some drums on that one in his studio. But like I – I understand it being called solo, but I, I just want to let the, whoever's listening know that like it, 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 it ain't happening without people like Javi and Arthur and Philly and Aaron and Ernie and, you know, uh, Steve and JD, you know? Oh, okay. I just pulled up clocked out on Bandcamp, and yeah, JD's yeah. on fade. So yes, I've heard him multiple times. Then, <laughs> How good is he? Tell Dude, me that how is, good that he is. That is very good. No, like right when I saw it, I was like, Oh, Oh, okay, I know his voice. Yeah, his voice is fucking great. He made me cry so many thug tears through the whole process. <laughs> Hudson tears. too. I didn't I didn't I didn't mix or anything Steve's project. I just mastered it. But like I was because I mastered it, I was privy to all the tracks, you know? Uh-huh. And he really like it was cool to get to be a part of any of that. Like the fact that his music is out like is really just like it's been a goal of mine for years to help him get his music out and to get and to hear his music like I'm a fan of his you know oh huge fan like I was a huge fan oh, of I, his just from hearing him on Heroes and Noise dude quite yeah. honestly I was a huge fan of Hudson just the first time I heard him laugh <laughs> where he's just yes. got, he's just got one of those laughs that when you hear it, it it makes you smile and it makes you feel like everything's good in the world yes. <laughs> and then like you know because you know when you listen to podcasts it, it's almost like in a weird way, it's like you feel like you get to know a person in a way, right? And so yeah. just as much Heroes and Noises I've listened to and then, you know, the times that I have recorded with them and, and getting to talk to him and stuff. Yeah, he's he's great, man. And when, when he dropped The Gentleman, dude, it, it blew my fucking mind when, when, I, when I listened to that album. And I don't know I, I, need, I know I keep going back to this and blowing all you guys. But, <laughs> but I, but I just love it, man. I, <laughs> because, like... 
it it is one of those things, you know, like like when you surround yourself with with people that you can look up to and you can you can see them put something out there that's excellent and and you know, it 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 should light a fire in in you to do yes. something excellent as well. And and you know, that's that's exactly you know, what this has done in, in like, you know, c- communities like, like around the heroes of noise podcast or the, or the community that's, community that's around pop culture leftovers. You know, if it, if it, if it wasn't from, for me, like getting into the leftover army back when I did, like I, that's what gave me the confidence to launch Startcast, And then from there, it gave me the confidence to, Hey, let's take this book that, that I wrote in 2006. And, you know, I got a, um, a, a small pile of rejection letters, like trying to pick up like a, you know, a literary agent in New York with it, but then finding out, you know, well, I can just do this myself and, and release it and, and see what kind of splash it makes. And then I don't know. It's, it's just cool to meet people like you and, and the other people in these communities, because, you know, for, for like my situation where I'm at, like I'm, I'm in rural Iowa. Like it's, it's fucking weird where I'm at, man. <laughs> there's, there's like not a lot of people around me that, the, the you know, like I can relate to people around here just because we're, you know, we're from Iowa and we both say "ope" when we bump into people or you know, dumb shit like that. No. But, but like when it comes to like a lot of, especially when they get to like politics and shit like that, I'm like I'm so far away from that. And so it's like, for me, it's important for me to like, you know, meet people like you, and, you know, because like no lie, man, when when I listened. Did I spent all day on Tuesday, like listening to your album on repeat. And then I, I got off work and I was like, I'm fired up to, to do this. Like I'm fired up. And like, I, I did more writing this week than the week before. And I, I think it had a lot to do, you know, with us talking on Tuesday and then just listening to this, like, you know, your music and Steve's and, and just being like, God damn, I'm, you know, I got friends around me that are talented and doing this. And, all it takes is a component of self-belief and, and being willing to go out there and do it. And I just, I just got so much respect for you doing it on multiple levels the way you do, man. Man, the community, dude, I appreciate the respect. The community has been gigantic. Like for me, like the heroes of noise community is tight. And like, I actually not really into pod- podcast. I'm not into a lot of things. I'm really weird. <laughs> it's like pro, pro- Pro wrestling and like random stuff on YouTube, like uh, the media I take in is very, it's just different. Like I don't really fit into like a lot of things. Like I was saying, I don't really watch a lot of movies or TV all the time. I'll probably find one show or or one or three movies that I'll watch a million times. You know, Mm -hmm. my brain, my brain is broken, I'm sure. But I actually got (laughs) into podcasts because my buddy Steve has a podcast. And he was like, yo, can we play your music on our pod? I was talking about you earlier. And I was like, yeah, of course, dude. You know? And I decided to listen in. And, like, Dan is such a great host. Like, and him and Steve just work so well together. I just got enthralled with just Steve and Dan and hanging out with them. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. That's dude, what they, it they're feels so like. good on that show. Like, their show sounds so professional. And, like, when Dan does, like, their contacts read – I, I don't know. They they both they they do that show like like this is what you guys are supposed to be doing. Like like you do this well enough to where it's like this makes sense, and it would be a genuine loss to the podcast community if you guys stopped doing Heroes of Noise. And I think so, man. Like I I remember when I when I met Dan in C two E two, I felt like such a dork because I like I I felt like I just kept stumbling over. But you and Steve are so cool, 
and I'm such a dork. And so it's nice that you guys like me (laughs) 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 because like I listen to their show and I'm just like, it just, it's, it sounds like they're so on top of it, you know? And, (laughs) but that's also one of those things where as an artist, like you can really only compare yourself to your past body of work. And and when you start stepping outside that, you're, you're just stepping into a world of self hurt. And so, yeah. You know, that, that's why when I, when I look at these, uh, my, my friends that do podcasts that I look up to, you know, like what, what, um, what here's a noise are doing or like what pop culture leftovers does and stuff like that. I'm like, God damn, those are like real professional shows. And then people will, you know, reach out to me and be like, you know, I hope you know how good of a job you're doing with Startcast. And I'm like, really? Okay. Thank you. But it's like, I, yeah, I gotta yeah. remember to take that to heart and it's 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 weird <laughs> the whole yeah. act of creation and then you know creating things and then feedback on it it's 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 a weird trip man but but it's cool because like you have people growing with you and yeah. you're going to continue to improve because the things you don't like you're going to fix you know what i mean oh without so, a like, doubt. People, yeah. people don't even understand what you're fixing or what you don't like and uh my one of my good friends Darrell, told me like like you need to start somewhere and it's okay if you're not a thousand percent quality coming out as long as you care about what you do and you're doing it with all your heart. Because if you start off at like a hundred quality, but you're new to this, it's going to show and it's going to be, it's going to be weird. And you can take a, you can take an audience and grow and have them grow with you. If you do it another way, if you start off with just good enough quality passable and then you progress you're going to have that story of progression and everybody's going to grow with you. And that's going to mean more than just starting off. Like imagine if you started start casting like one of those big podcasting network studios, but like you were new, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Or imagine, imagine if my first records had come out in studios, like we did heat in, it would almost like make heat less important because we did the truth. Our first, we did uh, our first EP in my room with Fruity Loops drums, drum loops. We didn't have a drummer yet. <laughs> we did our first loops. album. We did our first album in my bedroom. Me and Phil did that together. Phil did all the engineering of it. He's because he because he could do anything he wants to do. He's brilliant. You know what I mean? We did the same thing. We recorded Faction ourselves, but we outsourced the mix and master to Zach Olrin, this amazing freaking sound engineer that's done all of our like a lot of our favorite records in like history. Have you ever listened to First Blood? Man, that's not ringing a bell. You know what else he works on is a machine head. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've definitely heard of machine head. Yeah. So like he's he's the man in our eyes when it comes to like sound engineering and and production type things for our genre, for Farouk's genre. But if we would have had our first record come out with him, Heat wouldn't have been as important. Like the, the growth was what made Heat being in that studio when Glacier Recordings got us actually in the studio with him face to face. That's what made it what it was, is that growth. The album before was mixed and mastered by him, but we sent him the files, you know? Yeah. The the Heat album was in studio with him face-to-face. I got to work with him with my vocals. It was a privilege and an honor. He made me better that day. I, I did the best I could have possibly done ever be, because of the situation I was in and because of his his energy and his know-how and his presence and his skills. You know, oh, it yeah. made like the growth, you know what I mean? You're doing your, I feel like I'm like kind of on the upturn 
with Starkcast for that, where you've grown from your first early episodes that you hated probably, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's definitely ones where – well, and I, I have this weird thing too where like, you know, I'll, I'll finish an episode and like maybe like immediately afterwards I'll feel pretty good about it. But then by the next day, I, I almost like dread it where I'm like, oh, my guest was great, but it was it was one that I sucked on. I was terrible. And then I'll <laughs> upload it because, you know, that's what you got to do. And then I'll like <laughs> hesitantly listen to it. And I'll be like, oh, that wasn't bad. Oh, that was all in your head. That was that was you just self-sabotaging yourself like you do. And, and now that I've noticed that pattern in myself and I can predict it, I almost kind of laugh at it now when it happens. And I'm like, oh, there's, there's just you being neurotic again. Yep. Just push past this. And I got a question for you. Yes. Post. (laughs) You got questions. I got a question for you. Cause I've learned this. I I did this and this is what helped get clocked out. out. Uh, Have you gone and listened to old episodes before you put out a new episode? Like go and listen to your like first or second episode. Oh no, I've not gone back and listened to old episodes in a long time. So for me, when I was having trouble with getting clocked out, out, I was just really angry with the mix and master and how it came out. And there was things I couldn't fix that I wanted to fix. I knew they needed fixing, but I couldn't do it. And luckily, like I said, Javi took over and fixed all those things and made me love it. Like that hour or two he spent on the songs made me love these songs again. Cause that guy's got the magic in him. But one of the things I did that gave me the confidence to just put it out was I went and listened to on the clock and saw that though, like I'm so happy that people receive on the clock well and they dig it for what it is, but it's got a lot of flaws, dude. For me, in my opinion, you know, Oh, of course, because you look at it, and, and you're not seeing like the same shiny, perfect product I'm seeing. You're looking at yeah. it and you're saying, oh, that curve there that you like so much, I see the Bondo under the paint. I, I know what it looks yeah. like under the surface. And, and yeah, you're, not, you're just not it. seeing that because you don't know it as well as I do. You don't know it as intimately as I do. And it's like, well, of course. you know. Yeah. As a creative, you're always going to look, well, <laughs> I, I shouldn't make such a generalization. With, with me, the things I create, I always immediately look at the flaws first. So I totally get what you're saying. Right, because we want to make something better every time, right? Uh huh. So that's, I think that's, that's a good tool to have, but it can't be our, it can't be our number one, right? Yeah. Like for me, like I went back and I listened to that album, and I was, I've always been proud of it because the fact that that even came out was a miracle in itself. Those songs were so personal. I was really on some shit, like in my head, like I was really going through some shit. I mean, you know what I mean? And the fact that I was, I had the guts to put these out and they were basically a portrait of my situations at the time was to me brave. And so I'll always be proud of that. But I also like didn't know then what I know now about mixing, mastering, mastering, engineering, production. Like I wasn't really a producer back then, like in my mind, you know, and it's just like, I was just going to doing what you were doing but i mean you were yeah. on the path to to learning and, and getting to the point where right. now you can call yourself a producer right i mean those were yeah. those were steps along your way but i did listen to that and i did find the flaws and then i did listen to the new stuff right afterwards and be like yo i'm all right <laughs> because, because in the grand scheme of things that had its flaws but it also had so many so much beauty to it that people res- respected it and I sent that to the label and they didn't send it back like, yo, we can't put this out. They were like, I can't wait to put this out. 
let's make cassette tapes. They, the label Hypergiant had handmade like these. Have you seen when they dip paint stuff like with the swirls on it? Uh, yeah, yeah. So they made uh, the first run of cassette tapes, which I feel like all my closest friends and family at the time have one. Or I think one of my cousins, Jay, Jada, um, bought two of them because he's that kind of guy. Um, they were hand-dipped cassette tapes. They came with a free MP3 download and all the other things, but they'd send you a cassette tape that they dipped like with the swirls on it, and then they dubbed the cassettes. Oh, cool. They were beautiful, dude. That first run was gorgeous, and I don't even think I have one. I, oh, that's I, too bad. <laughs> I, I took them on tour, and I sold them for five bucks each and put every $5 bill in my pocket for them. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> like, uh, well, and that was the thing is I was rapping on tour with Farouk when Farouk wouldn't have an opener. I would go up and do my set. Oh, that's and, cool. And, and like, that was a thing that we did on tour. Dude, so that's the how, opening, that's the opening how shot was your voice at the end of one of those nights? Oh my God, dude. There's uh, <laughs> I have like tour vlogs up on one of the, on YouTube. And I think it's the, the third tour where I, uh, the first tour we did, I was almost on every date. The second tour we did, I was on the ones that I had to be on. The third tour we did, I, uh, same thing. I was on just a few of them. You know what I mean? And I would found this spray that helps singers. And I learned technique by that third, third or fourth tour. But I lost my spray. And the fourth day out, I wasn't even rapping yet but I'd blown my voice out with Farouk. Oh no. <laughs> and there's a tour vlog where I can't even talk. And the guys in the band are roasting my life away. It's so <laughs> hilarious. Like, it's so funny. Like I wasn't, I didn't even hesitate to put the, I didn't even hesitate to put the vlog out. They're killing me there. Like I'm getting <laughs> just flambe, dude. And I, <laughs> dude, it was, it was and funny. You can't even really respond back. You got oh, croak at him. <laughs> yeah. But the, the funny thing was like, Though they were just absolutely just brutalizing me, dude. You know what I mean? Like, one, I deserved it because, like, it should have been up to me. But, like, at the same time, they were still like, dude, we feel so bad for you, but this is hilarious. And it was like they were almost, like, not wanting to do it, but they knew they had to because that's that's what you do when you're in a band. And that's what we always did with each other. You know what I mean? And even though I was, like, I should have gotten sympathy, and I still did. Like, they had to roast me, too. I had to take my lumps. Because every single one of them has taken their lumps on things, too. And what was a big bummer, and, and Phil, like, was always the voice of reason. He was like, you guys got to remember that he's also selling our merch and managing our tour. So you need to pick up the slack for him. And they were like, oh, man. <laughs> and it, it, <laughs> like, it was like reality set in for them. And it's like, aha, he can't talk. And it's like, oh, wait, we have to be at the merch table more now because he can't talk. <laughs> Go and then like some hey, t-shirts fucker fuckers. <laughs> yeah you guys can't go you guys can't go kick it outside or, or you know go on your walks or do whatever else people who don't manage tours get to do you know because <laughs> i have to go in and fucking whisper yell at people about our guarantee and our set times and shit because i'm the only one privy to that at the time you know oh man they killed me though <laughs> and yeah my voice was shot man but I have this singer spray that I use that works wonderfully. I use it in the studio now. It's like an all-natural, alcohol-free. It tastes 
horrible, but I love how it tastes now. It tastes like success to me. But <laughs> is it kind of like a chloroseptic spray where it like numbs your throat a little bit or? Uh, I don't think so. I gotta find it. I have, it's funny. Like I have empties everywhere. I have bottles of it everywhere. <laughs> I never keep it for how much I love this stuff. You would think that uh, I found it right here. I just went to my room technology. <laughs> I wonder if this is a good bottle or not. This is disgusting. Oh, it's so dirty too. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> so it's the non it's the non alcohol professional strength singer spray. Singer spray. Huh. It says singer's soothing throat spray. I get it from Sprouts. So product placement there. We're gonna be millionaires. <laughs> um, it's from her- herbs, etc. It looks like the logo was made in 1987. <laughs> and it's uh, it's a yerba mansa root, fresh stone root. That's got to be fake. That's not a thing. Licorice root, so there's red vines in it. Uh, OSHA root, which you know, make sure it's safe uh, on the work site. <laughs> and uh, echinacea, of course, because echinaceans and everything. And of course, ginger. What is Jack in the pulpit? Okay, they're making stuff up. No, Jack the pulpit is a, is a plant. It's like a flower. I'm pretty sure this would have uh, this would have cured your zombies in your book. This stuff. <laughs> yeah, they definitely didn't try that. <laughs> I'm not trying to post. I'm not trying to put book spoilers up, but I'm pretty sure there's a character that could have that tried to give that to his uh, loved ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, that could, probably could have worked out better for him <laughs> before, he, before, before he got before he got his consequences. <laughs> that was a fucking dark scene to write, <laughs> dude. I'll tell you what, dude. Was, it's hard to kill it, your babies. That's something I struggle Yo, with. <laughs> are you posting books? Are you doing book spoilers in your Starcast? Let's well, go. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm not really spoiling anything. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, at, when you write stories, you have to, you know, you create these characters in a way you're kind of their parent. And so it's, I feel dirty when I have to write horrible things for these characters. But, I mean, you know, I remind <laughs> myself they're not real people. <laughs> But it's like, well, they're real to me. I'm, I'm feeling their, their, their thoughts and stuff, and their ideas, their energy. They exist. They do, exist in a way. Do you remember Update the movie? On the spray. Oh what? <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's okay, man. Update on the throw spray. I, so what I'll do is when I run out, I put water in it because the residuals from it is still effective. <laughs> yeah. And I just sprayed it right now, and it's definitely expired. <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny is it tastes bad all the time. But this was a different kind of taste bad where I knew it was expired. <laughs> <laughs> like you thought it was expired, so you tasted, you tested it in your mouth. <laughs> well, it, it, I didn't know if it was. I didn't even know that stuff expired until right now when I found out the hard way that the, 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 the pulpit would go bad. <laughs> found out the hard way. It's the jack in the pulpit, probably. Huh. That stuff. That stuff's not shelf stable, right? <laughs> Uh, now I'm all giggly. <laughs> I got no, no, it's my good, bad. man. I like it. You'd ask me about a movie. <laughs> I was gonna say, um, well, I was starting to go off on a tangent. Um, yeah, let's go. I was I'm gonna say, you. um, the. Do you remember the movie Last Action Hero? Yes, saw okay. it at the drive-in movie theater in Pinedale, California. Represent. Okay, perfect. Okay, so do you remember the scene where the um, the 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 movie version, you know, of Arnold Schwarzenegger's ca- character? I can't remember the the character's name. Jack something, right? Sure. <laughs> anyway, when he's like in our real world and then he meets Arnold Schwarzenegger and Schwarzenegger's like all excited, like, whoa, 
you look just like me. You know, you could be my stunt guy. And he's like, you've brought me nothing but pain. It's like, that's like the thing I live in fear of is that if any of my characters ever come to like real life and ever come to me and be like, you've brought me nothing but pain. I'm like, oh shit. (laughs) And so that's, that's like my self admonition to not write books like George RR Martin. (laughs) I need to watch that movie again because I don't remember enough of it, but I remember it being a, it was a flop, right? It was a flop. It's an it's an interesting flick, though. Um, uh, one of my friends that uh, is a podcaster, Paul Hart, he does several podcasts, and one of them is called Movies from the Heart. And just recently, they had they had covered Last Action Hero, so it's still kind of reverberating in my brain. But otherwise, I hadn't seen it since like the nineties. Oh, jeez! Except for that yeah. one line, I always remember that one line of you that's know, such a good that's such an Arnold line too. Yeah, <laughs> you have brought me nothing but pain. I wonder if I've Arnold had his own his own guy that like wrote in Arnold, like like you know, let me speak Arnold. Let me give him lines that are gonna sound badass. <laughs> That's a really yeah. good point. Like, <laughs> we need to craft this line phonetically so it comes good sounding out in his accent. Yeah. <laughs> I, or or was this was this him taking an artistic license? <laughs> I can see him with some tiny bifocals looking over the script like. I wouldn't word it like that. He he's practices it out by himself. When he, talks, like, oh. when he talks about the, the script, he doesn't speak in his accent. He speaks just as like anybody else, like no accent at all. Yeah, just like a regular mm. voice. Mm. No, that's not really my, my style. That's not my meter. He's like pacing around his office, like swinging the Conan sword. Like, <laughs> Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and then he's he's doing different versions of it. I have received only anguish no that doesn't quite work <laughs> you have gifted me discomfort oh that's a definite no and then he's like you have brought me nothing but pain and then he just looks he just like looks up like oh, by god i've got it <laughs> my cheeks hurt <laughs> like smiling and laughing so hard <laughs> yeah i i, I bet you know you've you've mentioned the battle rap stuff a bunch of times i could see how you were good at that because you're just naturally funny and you can think quick on your feet. And so, I don't know. What was that? Number one, how does one get into battle rap? And then what the fuck is that like? I mean, that's uh, got to be kind of like high pressure, right? Oh, yeah. It is. Oh, dude, battle rap is so crazy. And I'm so glad I'm not involved in it as much anymore. I watch <laughs> it like crazy. That's the. You know what? I probably watch more battle. I probably watched 20 movies worth of battle rap than an actual movie. You know what I mean? Like in time. Uh-huh. Like movie time. You know what I mean? Like, I'll go back and watch old ones. I'm ridiculous with that. But, okay, so I think I got into it. I think my homie Darrell got me into it. DP3, IME. He's got a bunch of different names, but his name's Darrell Powell, and he's an awesome human. And uh, he, you know what? I owe a lot to that guy, too, man, because he was, like, one of the first artists that I got to produce for. And, like, he helped me put together some of my first studio stuff, like, welcomed me into his home. He's an awesome dude. And he also was like, yo, you need to be getting into this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and Battle Rap was one of them. And I remember he gave me a Smack DVD bootleg. Smack was one of the first street Battle Rap-like things where like guys wouldn't rap over beats. They just rap. And rappers like Cassidy kind of were like on the forefront of that. But then you have like your uh, Murder Mooks and uh, 
loaded luxes and these guys who are like the godfathers of modern battle rap like those guys would be like your hulk hogan and macho man randy savage of battle rap oh okay i gotcha you know what i mean where it's like everybody who knows battle rap knows these guys you know yep um so he gave me a dvd and i was like this is cool and like my cousin j-dub and me were doing songs together Darrell, i was like doing music with him and we were all just doing rap stuff and then we started watching it and started doing like started battle rapping each other uh i, I remember battle rapping a dude outside of a party he was battling my cousin and then he's like like we all just started rapping at each other it was kind of crazy and then i found local league through one of the other rappers i was working with and the local league was like terrible like they had if they had 10 dudes rapping for them two of them were hella good one of them was good enough and the rest of them were like bad and it was this format where dudes were starting to write but some of them weren't writing they were freestyling and some of them were doing both but writing your raps ahead of time was like a thing and knowing your opponent ahead of time was becoming a thing and so we decided to get into it and i was in that little local league for a little bit and we had some good times there's a lot of bad times too like that league was run by an idiot and it was shady and the only reason it was the least bit palatable is because we were doing it for a while at this hip-hop shop ran by this guy named sam hansen who's brilliant and he had the kind enough heart to let us in there and do events there for the love of hip-hop despite how poorly some of the events went and despite uh fights happening outside and shit you know oh no some then, people would like really take it seriously uh there was that but then there's just like a lot of egos and just a lot of things would happen you know yeah where dudes would get punched for doing too much and it wasn't usually during the battles it was something outside of the battles usually it wasn't even the guys that battled that would fight it was other dudes oh okay it's more just people bringing their own aggro bullshit to the show yeah, it happens, man. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Sam was cool. And then there's a, a cameraman named Jay Delaney who would come do the, the camera work. And he was amazing. And he, we had no business having somebody so good doing camera work for us. Or they had, that, comp, that, that league had no business, you know. But this dude was also a hip-hop head and was doing it for the love. And really, like, made things way better than they should have been. And I was there doing that. And st I stayed watching it, stayed a fan. Um, but like it is, it's crazy when you get a matchup because from a songwriting standpoint, imagine, or for, from a book writing standpoint, imagine writing something that you're only going to perform one time, all about one subject for one person, but it's all negative. And you have to be, it's like doing a debate. You have to be prepared to get, to get some back and try to bounce it back to them. But there are battles I've had that were videoed, were, were on tape, but never released that I spent months preparing for. Writing, rewriting, rehearsing, memorizing, memorizing again, rewriting, memorizing again. And then you go, you perform, you do great. And then it doesn't even, I got, I remember one of them, I got a sponsorship. I got a free shirt from a dude, you know, <laughs> I drove, I drove. I drove three hours to San Jose with as many friends as we could fit in the car. And I, I did really good. And the battle never ended up getting posted. Oh shit. I got really good feedback from some of like the local legends and battle rap out there too. Like really did good. It, it helped. I did okay. 
But what helped is my opponent choked all three rounds. And so it made me look like I killed him. Battle never came out. <laughs> the opponent choked all three rounds. That sounds like me in middle school wrestling. Oh. I was a turtle, man. Oh, man. It's, it's tough, though. It's tough. Because <laughs> you prepare for – and there was battles I wish didn't get posted because I prepared for months and I just was so off and didn't understand what I was doing yet that they're just bad. You know? But it's it's crazy because – there was a time where I had to just stop it because it was I had a responsibility to the guys in Farouk, and I don't know I took I felt like it was kind of shitty if I were to take my own things and make that take time away from Farouk, you know. Well, yeah. And it was like, am I going to spend three? Because I'd find out about an opponent sometimes two or three months in advance, and it and you spend that person is on your mind every day until you battle them. And it's weird. And then you have a some kind it's of weird totally bond weird. with them. And then you have some kind of weird bond with them afterwards. After I remember battling a guy and not writing. I memorized it all. I did it all in my head. I had a whole bunch of fun with it. Um, he was so like, I if this person that you love and and you're you're this and you're that. He was like relentless. You know what I mean? He was so mean. Cause that's what you're supposed to do. But he also like sucked. Like he wasn't creative and he swears he beat me, you know? <laughs> um, and to this day, like if we were ever to see each other, he's going to say, Oh, I killed you. And I'll be like, no, you didn't dude. Are you kidding? Go watch it again. You're dumb. You know what I mean? I had the crowd <laughs> in the palm of my hand all three rounds. How did, how did you beat me? And by the way, I didn't even try. You know what I mean? I didn't even write. He pulled out his notebook in the beginning of his second round, before his round. I saw him do it. The camera didn't catch him do it. He pulled out a whole spiral-bound notebook out of his gigantic <laughs> pants. It was hyster. It was so funny that I lost all the, the want to compete, and I actually felt bad for him. And like, I thought <laughs> this is stupid, but I thought it was cute. Like, I was like, oh, he pulled out a, like, I took it as a compliment. But, like, honestly, he looked up at me when I caught him because he was like, hey, yo, yo. And he's flipping through his notebook. And I was, he looked up at me, and I could see, like, the look of terror in his eyes. He's like, oh, he's going to get me for this. <laughs> and I was just like, it's cool, man. And I think I even dapped him up. Like, I was like, you're good, bro. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so bad. He was terrible. And all I did, I mean, not like I was much better. All I did was, you know, the, the typical battle rap stuff. You look like this. Um, you're not a man because of this. You know, all that stupid shit. <laughs> but it is it is so weird. The world of it is weird. But it's so much like pro wrestling that I can't not watch it. Yeah, you'll have to send me some good videos from that, too. Because I've never looked up, like, the closest I've ever come to seeing battle rap is 8 Mile. Which I saw precisely yeah. one time in the theater. So, I mean, that's yeah, been a long like the, time. So, that's like your reference to hamburgers as McDonald's. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Stupid, right? <laughs> well, I mean, no. No. Well, you know what a hamburger's like. Kind of. But it's the only hamburger you've ever had. But uh, it might be all the hamburger you could handle. You were too kind to me. <laughs> no, that's what it is. That's what 8 Mile is to Battle Rap. Is It's, it's that intro. You know? Yeah. No, that's awesome. You're killing it with the analogies on this, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Eight miles of hamburger. 
it is uh, everything oh. everything is a food analogy and everything can be uh justified with storytelling is the thing that me and hoppy always say in the studio <laughs> and it's it's crazy because i used to piss him off because i'm like he's like well why is this like this and I'm like oh because this 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 and this and he's like oh that's crazy and i'm like yeah i just justified it with storytelling he's all god damn it you know and then the <laughs> other day i was i was kind of i don't know there's something i was like having trouble with and he's like, well, just justify it with storytelling. And I was like, God damn it. Okay. And then I did. And he's like, I can't believe you just did that. <laughs> like, oh, man. I can't wait. Uh, like, the next thing that I do after this is going to go to the studio to set up for a Farouk music video shoot. Oh, nice. Yeah, we have new music on the way. Like, we have, uh, I think, seven songs completed that we just need to get the final recording versions of. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's tight. I'm excited. They're meaner than ever. Like, most of them are so angry. Like, there's still some groove, but like, yeah, it's, I'm excited about these. So, Javi being our bass player and the engineer that's going to be recording us, and just, you know, the, the mosh to my thrasher, the, uh, oh man, I, no, no, you're not going to get that one. Um, <laughs> He's he he is the he is the um the Captain America to my Iron Man. You know what I mean? Okay, you know, I'm with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You I think break it, it down it, to it, comic it, books, and, and I'll be with you. <laughs> yeah, well, he's 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 super into Marvel and stuff. And the reason that uh, we named on Captain Recordings on Captain is because we had a Captain America flash drive. We used to say uh, transfer files between when we work on stuff together. And so he, I, I give it to him, and be like, "Hey, it's on Captain," and we oh, call the flash drive Captain. And so, like, Aaron, uh, you know, did the did a lot of the logo. My lady, Aaron, uh, and she like incorporated kind of some imagery of Captain America with the. If you look at the logo, it's like three, um, red, um, circles like in a line, like around the logo, and it's kind of like a little nod to the Captain America shield. But I'm definitely the Tony Stark out of the two of us. I just don't have it together sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I know whenever people throw the Tony Stark thing at me, I'm always like, I wish I had his money. Yeah. <laughs> like that would be so much fun. Just a, just a little bit of it. Like trillions, millions and trillions of dollars is more than a person can spend. You know, that stuff's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I but so yeah, dude, we're things. doing that next and I'm excited. Like he's such a pleasure to be around and, so easy to work with and we're gonna take our little studio and kind of make it look like a music video set Ooh, on captain recordings i just found you guys on facebook yeah fucking sweet it's a cool little team we got there yeah no, that's a cool logo too yeah aaron really put it down that's actually her handwriting and uh her and javi collaborate on a lot of the design stuff but for instance the the cover for clocked out is Aaron curated the art from a friend of ours. She drew it up. Um, shout out to Sarsha. And then uh, we took it and um, manipulated it to fit kind of what we were looking for. You know what I mean? And it was the minds of Aaron and, and the hands of Javi that made it happen. And it's the same with that logo. They really put it down. And I just kind of get to sit there and be like, but what if? <laughs> what is <it> this? <laughs> <laughs> that's my it's funny how like 
I could totally lead something when it's time for me to, but then there's other times where I'm just like in the background, like you guys are doing good. <laughs> <laughs> and aren't those times nice when somebody else gets to drive for a while? Like, especially that's, if you're used to being the dad on so many other things. Yeah. Well, that's the whole mentality behind that imprint of on captain recordings is like all the people who are participating in it are all, they're all the, the guys that run things from time to time. Like, and everybody that we've brought in and that we work with is somebody who could do everything on their own. And the team is, is the thing that makes sure that they don't have to. So then they do their thing extra good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like JD comes in and he writes guitars and vocals cause he does that exceptionally well. And he could definitely write bass parts. He could definitely write percussion and drum parts. He could definitely do all those things, but he shouldn't have to because he can focus in on his guitar and vocal. And then I do all those things. And I could definitely engineer and mix and master and do all the recording. But Javi is exceptional at that. So having him do that while I produce made us both do the things that we're good at. Because Javi can also produce if he wanted to. When he feels like it, he could definitely do that. He could do anything. But while sound engineering and while recording and tracking is something that is possible but not as good of an idea you know so like that into the woods album was that javi was tracking everything javi on the mains um i was just sitting there while they recorded producing it saying jd what do you think about doing it this way or how do you feel about this or hey um i'm gonna have javi turn your headphones down and i'm gonna have you take a step back from the mic and i want you to sing this as if you're singing it to somebody across the street those are the I'm just giving you my producer juice right now. Well, no, and like, people, I, this is fascinating because <laughs> well, what I was going to ask is, you know, like everybody hears that word, like producer, but it's like mm -hmm. in a in a music sense, it's really interesting to hear what a producer is doing. Like you're in there, just more or less, just giving it your honest take and saying, you know, hey, why don't you try it this way, and and let's just see how that comes out sounding. Like, is that more or less like the role of a producer, like in in this scenario? So <laughs> I'm learning that that term is like, to me, kind of a fluid one. So like I found out that an executive producer, which is the title I got to hold for S.E. Hudson's album, the, Gen the Gentleman, that's a person who may not ever touch anything, but they're the one who organizes the release, make sure that the, the artist and the musicians and the engineers, they're all together and it all gets done in a timely manner and it comes out. So as the executive producer of The Gentleman, that's what I did. I got with Steve, made sure gave him timelines, followed up with him. And um, I partnered him with a mastering engineer, which happened to be me, <laughs> to master his music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I got him with On Captain Recordings to make sure that it was submitted and all the information was uh, correct. And I kind of brokered the whole partnership. You know what I mean? So that's what an executive producer did in that uh, term. Thank you, Google search for me, looking that up and figuring that out. As a music producer, I'm someone who turns these songs and ideas into experiences. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So JD sends me just guitars and vocals and I'm listening to it saying, oh, we could put these kind of drums behind it. Oh, I could use, I could do this kind of a bass line. I actually wrote and played in a lot of the keyboard parts and, and string parts and all the things that aren't a guitar are things that I actually played in as the producer. I could have, uh, what I also did as a producer, which is like what Quincy Jones would do, is brought in other musicians to play parts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And kind of 
you kind of you kind of mold the sound into a cohesive and you turn it into an experience. So I also made the artistic decisions with the support of JD and Javi of like this kind of a reverb on this song and this effect right here and um, this particular bass tone for this song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for uh, for and that's all of what I did for my own work too. Is I made all the beats except for the one for um the second track which Arthur Bueno made. You know. But the decisions on what's louder and what's not, and the decisions on the effects and the effects on the vocals and the the actual execution of them too was uh, me. And then when they were too dirty, Hobby would clean them up. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's kind of the producer takes the song and turns it into an experience. So it's not just notes and words, you know what I mean? It's those uh, reverse effects and the fade outs and the, you know, the chorus effects. And, uh, you know, when you're listening to Frontman mm-hmm. and you hear Steve's, ver- you hear when you st- hear, if you're listening to headphones, when you hear him singing, it sounds like it's surrounding you, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, that, a producer would make that decision to say, okay, put this one to this side, put this one to this side. I need this many tracks. And that's what I did. I asked Steve for uh, so many tracks so I could move them around and do what I wanted with them. Wow. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and this just goes to show how dumb I am because it's <laughs> like, oh, I, well, I dude, hear the word. I didn't even know I, that that's what I, I was used either. the word, but like, yeah. really like you'd like, you'd say producer and like, what's a producer in music do? It's like, I, I don't know. Like I'm going to think of like the first season, like what was it? Like episode two of Metalocalypse where they forced yeah. them to like work with a producer. <laughs> like, Dude, I legit had to look it up and I've been <laughs> doing this for years and I didn't even know, like people have been calling me their producer rappers and friends. I know, Oh, that's my producer. And I thought it was just cause I was making beats for them here and there. Uh-huh. And it was like, Oh no, I'm giving them creative juice. Um, I like, uh, the same thing. I, I made a suggestion to the track or to all the, to all the records that came out on, on captain. I suggested the track order. Like, hey, this is my idea for the track order. Here's why. You know? Yeah. Those are those are decisions that aren't that don't happen randomly. Some nerd has to visualize that. And I just happen to be <laughs> that nerd <laughs> that nerd these artists trust to say, Well, you know, if you started like this, it tells this kind of story. And that's you know, that's why I think I admire what you do so much, dude. Is cause you you're telling you're the original storyteller. You're you're writing. You know what I mean? You're putting word on paper with nothing else. That's brave. You know? Yeah. I have yeah, I can see I that. have mosh I have mosh riffs and crazy drum parts to kind of help me out in Farouk. And I have fun beats and effects and electronics and stuff to help me with the rap stuff, you know? But when it all comes down to it, I'm trying to do what you're doing in music form. I'm trying to tell stories. I'd never like, looked at it that way, dude. That is that is fucking beautiful. Yeah, that's I think that's why it was so important to me to listen to your book. I don't and that's another thing that's like a big hole in my game is I don't read a lot of books or, or listen to a lot of books or anything like that. I just I'm just kind of in my own my brain is loud enough sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it it feels like these days I read far more comic books than than regular books, but I still try and keep been trying to keep like reading novels in because I don't know. It's, it, it just, you know, it helps. 
you know, see, seeing the way other, you know, writers lay out sentences and stuff like that. And it's also, it's crazy because it'll vary so much from, from writer to writer. Like the way that like JK Rowling, the way that she writes Harry Potter is like completely different from the way that say like George R. R. Martin, you know, writes Game of Thrones. It's just like completely different styles, but you can learn right. so much from reading both of them. You know, it's weird. See, that's, that's where I think my problem with intaking media, I'm trying to like fix myself and it's like, I hate being like, oh, I've never seen that, or oh, I don't, I don't watch that, right? I haven't watched that. Like it's whack, especially like being in this podcast community where this is like the thing that you guys do. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> is is read and watch stuff. I think it's just my style of consuming is like I really take it in. You know what I mean? And I try to memorize it, and it exhausts me. You know, but you I ever, really do like. Do you ever read I, any comic really, books? I used to when I was a kid. See, I did send some really good independent titles your way that you'd probably really blow the doors off. Yeah, I think that's something that I, I need to do creatively because one thing I did learn, and it helped a lot, is watching movies and reading does help me tell stories better. And right before I was the guest for a second time on Heroes of Noise, when we had to watch all those scary movies, I had to go into the studio and write a couple more songs for Peru. The, the instrumentals were written, but the vocals weren't. The, the lyrics weren't. And I knew exactly what I was going to do with them, but I had to figure out how. You know? Uh-huh. I knew exactly what story, what narrative I wanted. I had a couple of ideas for phrases, but it just hadn't, I hadn't put pen to paper yet. And watching the movies that they had me watch actually showed me how to tell the story in one of the songs. And actually showed me how to write the music video for like the next three songs. Now I have characters. <laughs> my characters <laughs> in, in our media are actually real people now. <laughs> my nice. little brother is one of them. And then my homie Danny Salas, who's a, a prominent radio DJ out here in, in Fresno. He's He's been in a couple of our music videos. And he's a character now that I've, I've actually made him uh, – the one of the characters on one of our early albums you know what i mean that's awesome <laughs> so like he's a real life person that now i'm casting as a character in our music videos uh-huh <laughs> and i'm and and so when you brought that arnold thing up earlier i was like oh no these are real people like this is my brother <laughs> my baby you know what i mean <laughs> luckily both like i'm not putting either of them through anything that bad you know yeah <laughs> my my brother's story, like I got a. Sh- did I send you a write up? I don't think I did. No, I don't think so. It's an old music video of ours, but that's where you see those two in it: my brother and Danny Salas. And Danny Salas is like this executive in this video, so he's in a suit and he just doesn't have time for anything, you know. He's got a Bluetooth in, rolling his eyes. <laughs> and my brother, my little brother, is his assistant, who's like tasked with get bringing him whatever he needs, you know. And I wish I still had the audio from this, but like they've known each other for a long time. We're all cool. Danny just lets loose on this kid, my baby brother, who's <laughs> I want to say like 17 at the time, maybe like he's old enough to take it. Like he's smart, you know, uh-huh. he might be a little older, um, but there's a part where he brings him. My brother brings him a chair to sit down on to watch us play. And I had found like the most comically like small chair possible for my brother to bring him <laughs> but i don't think i told danny i was like just react and 
Danny Salas is like six foot four. He's a fully grown man. <laughs> and like <laughs> my brother brings out this like you know those like lawn chairs like that have like that cross hatch pattern? Yeah. It's like one of those, but the short ones. <laughs> yeah, one for made for a child. Yes. <laughs> my brother <laughs> brings that out to Oh man, I wish I could have put more of there's a little bit of it in the video because you know music videos you can't really have things that lengthen them. Yeah. But that's like one of my favorite things is is being there during that shooting and ha- hearing Danny cuss my little brother out like what are you fucking idiot? Like why are you bringing me this shit for? Look at me like <laughs> So I did put my little brother through something for that first one, but these next three videos that I'm planning for us, uh spoiler alert, like have him in them and it's showing his progression from where he was. Oh, that's cool. And I'm so excited. So I didn't bring him nothing but pain, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what Danny Solace's story is going to be yet. Well, that's not him, but I mean, you know, this, the character he plays, I'm still kind of fledging that out. But I'm so <laughs> excited, man. I'm stoked I get to talk to you about it too. Like, I feel like I can, if it's okay, like I can bounce stuff off of you. Like you're like a legit storyteller. Dude, you know? yeah. Dude, anytime, man. Go ahead. I mean. Cause, dude, I'll, I'll give you my book. honest take on things. Awesome. Cause I listened to your book and I saw so much of it. <laughs> dude, that means so much to me. I mean, and, and especially because, you know, when, when you talk about, you know, progressions of, uh, as an artist and stuff, I mean, I become death was, I, I wrote that in 2006 and shit. Yeah. I wrote that. I mean, I wrote that when I was 26 years old and, and I, I had, you know, and that was, you know, that was before there was, you know, print to print to order options on Amazon where it's like, if you really wanted to have a print book, you know, you either had to save up a bunch of money and get, you know, a whole bunch of copies printed yourself and then sell them out of the trunk of your car or, yeah. you know, either get a contract with a publishing company or get a contract with a literary agent who will then, you know, like help you cross those murky waters. And holy crap. And so I just <laughs> looked up a list of, you know, hey, what are what are like the best literary agencies in New York. And so I sent off, you know, probably close to a dozen, you know, the, the here's the most soul crushing part of when, when you send in a submission as a writer. Also, you have to re, uh, include the S A S E, which is the self addressed stamped envelope, self addressed stamped envelope. Yeah. I was struggling with that second S there for a moment. But, and so it's, it'd be like, then like a few weeks later, I go check the mail and there's an envelope in there with my own shitty handwriting on it. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be another one of those. And sometimes you'd open it up oh. and it's not even a full piece of paper. <laughs> it's like, gee, thanks. Thanks. You, you, you don't want to spend a whole freaking piece of copy paper to tell me to go fuck myself. It's just a no. It's just like a red <laughs> X over your book. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, no, just clearly it was something where they have the same rejection letter written three times on a piece of copy paper, and then they cut it into thirds, and so then they can crush three dreams at once, you know? And and so then it just sat for a long time, and, and you know, I continued to write. And basically, I've I've always written. The only break that I took from writing was probably from, like, 2010 – to like around 2016 or so when I was like super hardcore obsessed with rock climbing to where it was like all I thought about was when is That's the awesome. next time I can go out in the woods? When is the next time I can go train? I got in really good shape and, and like I learned a lot about life and myself along the way. 
and and mostly like I it, it made me confront my obsessive compulsive nature and that it, it's hard for me to get into something and just dip my toes in. It's like if, if I get into something like I, I go deep. Like like when I first like all the gun descriptions and stuff like that that are in I Become Death, it's because yeah. at the time I wrote that, like I was hardcore into guns. Like like I was I'd go out shooting all the time on the weekends. I, I had a, I owned a handful of different guns. I would reload my own rounds out in the garage like a lunatic. <laughs> and then like when I got into climbing, then it was like all of a sudden it shifted from like this, you know, somewhat aggro activity to this very nature based thing and, and exploring, you know, your, your own struggle with yourself as you, as you try and do something that's, you know, not only physically demanding, but also really mentally challenging and and I learned a lot along the way, but but I also feel like I nearly lost everything that was most important to me, because wow. like in along the way in the depths of that obsession, like my relationship with like my wife was starting to get really bad because I was putting out this vibe like it was more important for me to go out and be in the woods with my friends than it was to be around her and our kids. And and eventually I got a couple different injuries and it put me out of the game long enough to. To where I, honestly, I got fat. <laughs> it was just, every time I would try to climb again after that, I would just re-injure myself. But then I also discovered podcasting. And then, you know, that, that brilliant community around, you know, the leftover army is what got my creativity going again. And so then I started writing again. And, and to kind of bring this back to where I was going is that, you know, I Become Death was written by a 26-year-old who was super passionate about writing, but really had kind of limited life experiences up to that point. Like, like I feel like up till like the shit in my life really hit the fan in 2008 because um, my wife and I, we had like a, a young, we had a baby that was just born in January. And then in June of that year, our, our entire town was flooded in my Whoa. house. What had like a, like 18 inches of water in it. And so then as young parents, we were going through this thing where we couldn't live in our house for a while. We were kind of bouncing back and forth between my mom and dad's house and my wife's mom and dad's house while, while I was trying to, you know, basically completely renovate the lower four feet of my house, as well as like everybody else in my town and a lot of fucking people in the Midwest in general. And, you know, so I went through, you know, PTSD with that and, and kind of came around and. Like I, I, I've just grown so much as a person that, and I've written so much since there, you know, not stuff that I've published, but just, I've done so much writing since there that it's like, if you do something long enough, even, you know, by accident, you'll get better at it. And, and so now True. when, when I'm looking at this new stuff that I'm writing and I'll go back through and listen to it or reread, you know, chapter one again, like I'll smile and I'll like, I'll see that progression in it myself. And I'll, you know, I'll try not to get too proud of myself because like you said, you don't want to go too crazy with it, but I've learned from experience that I can't be too timid with it either. I, yeah. I need to own it and be proud of it and, and be happy to put it out there. And dude, I can't, I can't wait for you to read. Like if you liked, I become deaf. I can't wait for you to read this next thing I'm writing. Because I, did, I feel like it's, it's so much, I don't want to say it's better because it's different. It's a fantasy story versus, this new project coming out called the unscarred it's a it's a fantasy like whole series so there'll be a bunch of books yes it's that long-term storytelling dude take us back <laughs> to new japan pro wrestling which was the, the prequel to this uh, the, the precursor to this pod we were talking about that before we had gotten on yeah. onto the show 
but yeah, like that long-term storytelling is, is actually things I try to build into my music. So, you know, on the clock, clocked out, you know what I mean? Um, And you have that with like owning it also. Yeah. And the truth, the faction and heat are all, they all kind of have their own progression and yeah, owning it, owned it. What was it? Owned, owning it and owned it. (laughs) Yeah. The three songs, which cross genres, you know, but like, that's that I'm really into that stuff, especially like for you, you're writing. So like long-term storytelling is like the home. I feel like, like writing books is like the home for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. But in music, I don't really see it as that because music's got all these different kind of pressures with styles and whatever's hot at the time and, you know, staying relevant and, you know, it's a different kind of expression. It's short form, you know, every song, three minutes long, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a different kind of consumable, but I've really tried to bring in that style of like, like in wrestling, they call it long-term booking. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like the idea of like, yo, we're going to touch on this today, but you're not actually going to see the final until four years from now. And that's that's such a crazy journey. You know what I mean? And I'm trying to kind of put that into what I do musically in a way. Um, and it's tough. But I think that reading books and listening to books is going to help me do that. So thank you for sending me my first ever book that I listened to. <laughs> Dude, you're very welcome. <laughs> And thank you for thank you for making it so good that I didn't tap out. Dude, that, that's the best like, feedback I get from that is when people who say that they don't usually read, or you know they're they you know they're not into books and stuff, and they're like, I had a really good time with this, and it was like really accessible, and it's like, well, good. Then then it, yeah. it did what it needed to do because it's like, you know, I I love I love reading books that are, you know, things that are like freaking you know, nearly a thousand pages and it's, you know, long winding narratives and stuff like that. But also I feel like not every book needs to be written like that. And a lot of people who, you know, aren't necessarily big giant readers, they don't need to read something where you're spending three pages, you know, describing something that, you know, in the long run, it it doesn't really need to be described to do anything for your story. But, but I don't know. I dug it. I, I heard it and I, I, I saw it and I heard it. The way you wrote, I become dead. Like I saw things and I heard things. And it, to me, that was freaking dope. Some of those things I didn't want to hear, but I knew they were crucial to the story. Yeah, there's some fucked yeah. up stuff in there. <laughs> some, of the, some of the descriptors. I mean, but that's what it is. It's It's genuine. You know, and luckily for me, I wasn't eating while I was listening to it. I was laying down <laughs> with the eyes with, with my eyes closed and the lights off, which which actually scared the shit out of me a couple of times too. Oh, nice! Because, <laughs> like I said, like I was I was seeing it, you know, and so like I'm a victim of my own imagination now because you're using the words, but I'm creating a picture for it. And I was like, Oh no, I don't want to see that. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> I know you want to talk about some of your characters being, you know, upset with the real you for writing that life. Like how, how do you think homeboy who fell out of that, fell out of that tree feels about me? <laughs> Yo, that was like, so I, won't, I won't spoil anything. But <laughs> I actually rewound that part. Cause like, wait, wait a minute. Wait, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Another thing to remember too, is that I, I like to listen to music when I write. And when I was writing that, I think I was listening to lots of Job for a Cowboy, their Doom <laughs> nice. EP, 
and probably listening to lots of Black Dahlia Murder's Nocturnal album. I'm thinking around that time I was really I had both of those in like heavy rotation. You're like, saying 2006? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You were listening to them because that was like their peak, like not their peak, <laughs> but really their rise to prominence. Uh, for those two bands, like 2006 to me is Job for a Cowboy and Black Dahlia Murder. Dude, like, that Doom can... album, that Doom EP, just the way it starts off with the you know the guy like buried screaming to be let out and then immediately goes into the screaming and it, and i've never heard a metal vocalist do those fucked up hog noises oh the freaking pig squeals yeah holy shit yeah that, <laughs> like, that, i love thing. that album dude holy shit they're a thing and i uh we make fun of them but they are a thing they've been around forever and they're disgusting and i can't i can't with them the pig squeal the way, are... <laughs> yeah i just <laughs> That's the only band I've heard do it. But, I mean, I'm uh, somewhat sheltered being in Iowa. That You know, I don't yeah. go out and pursue any scene or anything. And so most of the new music that comes to me, it just needs to fall in my lap from a friend. And and I had a yeah. friend give me both, like, just, I, I like, he would talk to me about, he was, like, huge metalhead dude. And so he'd be like, well, have you ever heard of this band? Have you ever heard of this band? I'd be like, no. And the next time I'd see him, he'd just have, like, a stack of CDRs for me. Like, he Sick. recorded and meticulously wrote out all the tracks and everything on like he introduced me Let's to so much go. good music i had some buddies like that in my early times that really fucked my my palate up and i'm so thankful to them <laughs> yeah i mean this dude introduced me to a range dude i mean from from job for a cowboy to like hank williams the third like he introduced nice. me to so much good shit um before i get going can i give you some some recommendations from yes. my history <laughs> yes please like, my, my influences <laughs> like when it comes to the metal side of things um let me think. So, like, I I had heard Job Job for Cowboy Black Dahlia Murder, but I was always into the stuff that's like less known than that. To me, if it was that known, I I already didn't want to hear it because I was just too fucking cool in my own head back then. <laughs> oh, you know totally. what I mean, dude? When I was in high school, I couldn't listen to anything that was on the radio because fuck yeah, that. It wasn't yeah, it until was like, years oh, later to where I was like, you know what, Matchbox Twenty is pretty good. That album was actually band. pretty solid. But, if they suck, they wouldn't be making a living doing what they're doing. But in high school, like you couldn't, yeah, no. like you couldn't have paid me to say that. Like, no, absolutely, no. You would have beat yourself up. <laughs> uh, let me think. But yeah, dude, there's like, so have you heard uh, Ion Dissonance from Canada? No, nope, never heard them. They're big influence of mine they're all over the place they think they started in like 2001 or two it's a great name um what's the other band that philly always listens to it's not glass casket glass casket's dope too um god he's like cra oh i i remember i remember their name because i make a pun for it all the time and it pisses <laughs> them off they're called despised icon nope i haven't heard of them either they've been around since around 2006 or more or or, or prior i think they're i think they have two vocalists and one of them does those pig squeals and their music is some of the most well put together music like if you listen to despise icon and then listen to farouk you realize that like th that we're taking cues from them and really trying to like trying to like uh push that style like we t we take a lot of like writing cues from them and and really like philly like really digs what they do and it shows in his writing style, you know, mm -hmm. but they're kind of, they have the two vocalists and the pig schools. And I remember when I first heard them, 
I used to get pissed off every time, and Phil would like laugh at me because I'd be like, ah, "Pig squeals," you know. <laughs> I, and like, I'd never heard it before. It became from my favorite Cowboy. part of their songs. <laughs> I don't know how they did that, but they're that good that they became my favorite part of their songs. Uh, Despise Icon, and I and I, this is the pun, the bad pun. You, this is so bad, you may have to cut it from your show. <laughs> but he went to go meet them at a meet and greet, and I kept asking him, "Please ask them for me. Please ask them." if they will ever do a um, hidden camera show called surprise Nikon. And he was like, <laughs> I'm surprised he's still my friend. He should have blocked my number for that. But like, I kept no, that's saying really it. funny and it works perfect. And he'd go, and this is the thing about Phil is like how I know I got him is he won't laugh. He'll just repeat it back to me in a sarcastic tone. And that's all I want from him. It's like <laughs> when Steve goes, like, I want to say pun so bad that Steve goes, sir, like it's that what Phil's is like I'd be like surprise Nikon and he'll go surprise Nikon huh? surprise Nikon and I'm all yeah and he's like okay surprise Nikon like that that's the response I want to elicit from people <laughs> I love puns that's... I suck at them and when I can occasionally roll one I'm very very happy with myself no dude they're they're just so useless. No, but I so remember useful. I remember years ago I was doing one of the the trail day events at our at a local climbing park, and so you know we'd have like a bunch of local college kids show up and and I'd have to teach them you know the proper way to build hiking trails and stuff, and then we'd spend you know a good half of the day maintaining the park, and then the afternoon you know people get together and climb and stuff. And there was this kid that from from Iowa City. I, I call him a kid, but he was probably in his like you know late teens, early twenties, something like that. And, uh, he would just, he was nonstop with them. Every, everything that came out of his mouth, he managed to work a pun into it. And it was just brilliant. And I like, I'd never had such a day of like a trail day where I spent so much time laughing. Dude, I appreciate that. You could appreciate that. <laughs> the best was not everybody, not everybody can handle it. He was like holding like a, you know, a piece of cedar that was probably like a good, like, you know, like 18 inches long or so. And you, you take these good, these pieces and about as big around as your wrist or so. And then you would have one end of it be, you know, flat cut off. And then the other end, you would have to take a machete and like whack it and, you know, basically turn it into like a vampire killing steak. Right. And so the way he was doing it, like he wasn't putting enough force into it. It really, really wasn't getting much of a, a good tip on it. And so like I grabbed it from him and grabbed the machete and showed him the right way to do it. And I'm like, you got it. And he's like, I think I got the point. And I'm like, oh, I yeah. like you. <laughs> like, I really like you. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember the dude's name, but he was just the pun guy from Trail Day, and he was he made that day really fun. Speaking of puns, the um, I found your battle rap entry point too. Oh, perfect. Um, his name is Carter Deems. He's the king of puns and dad jokes. That's his whole style. <laughs> yeah, I'll he's, laugh at it then. He's so much fun. I actually had the privilege of having him as a roommate for a while. He lived in the house with me here. He rented a room for me for about a year. Um, he's from Georgia. He's actually been on Wild and Out for the past couple seasons, I think. Or did that? Yeah. You know the show with Nick Cannon, Wild and Out? Nope. I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, it's I think it's on VH1 now, but it's like a it's like a modernized version of Whose Line Is It Anyways with like a lot of rap type stuff thrown in. Oh, okay. And Carter's been on that show for I think I think he got in for two seasons. 
<laughs> nice. But like he's he's brilliant. He's such a great human. I love him. Me and Aaron love him so much that he's. It's funny because we treat him like he's our baby. Like that's our Carter, but he's like you know, <laughs> six foot five, like man, fully grown man with a beard, you know. And me and Aaron are. I'm five six and she's four eleven and a half. Like you know, just running up like <laughs> Carter, our baby. You know. That's awesome. He hugs us like we're crutches. Like we're like right there to him. <laughs> but he's he's so much fun. Like, oh man, I just adore him and his his battle rap. Like people don't like it because it's like not serious. And it's just like if you can take yourself out of that brain of like I need to be extra serious about it and just enjoy wordplay and fun, like Carter Deems is a good time. It is a really good time. That's where I've always kind of come from with like hip hop for me. It's like, if, if I start taking it too seriously, especially just coming from where I'm coming from, you know, as yeah. like a, a, a white dude from, from the Midwest, it's like, I really can't relate with too much of it, but it's like, if I can come around and like come at it from an angle of, Oh, this is really funny. Then I'll usually enjoy yeah. it better. But I have had people get upset with me in the past for, for like taking that. Like, well, what are you laughing at it? I'm like, cause it's funny. It's not supposed to be funny. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of tough. Like, like imagine watching a documentary and laughing at it. <laughs> yeah, you know no, I mean? well, no, absolutely. Um, but like, but like when, when Easy E says that, like he he killed a girl with his nut. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, he was trying to be funny there. <laughs> exactly. He was definitely trying to be funny there. You know. But when DMX is talking about his his things and in dark it's dark and hell is hot, like. We don't laugh at that. We just pay reverent respect. It's like a documentary style thing. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And also, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not just going to laugh at everything like a psycho. It right. has to sound okay. sure. <laughs> You know, I mean, there's got to be something in it that'll, yeah. There's got, yeah. Well, Easy e was freaking hilarious. I can't <laughs> with him. He was such a bad rapper. I went off on a tangent in the last road trip. I went on with my girlfriend about how bad of a rapper Easy E was and how he just got away with it because oh, other mean, people, all other people were writing his raps, but then like when they weren't, he had you know he had to fend for himself and he just made it off of his name. But he just did not care. It was gross. Whoops, am I cutting out? No, no, you're still there. Okay. Oh yes. my AirPod, my my headphones are on ten percent. Oh shit. <laughs> Let's see how good these things work. Well. Well, I think we were getting close to when, when you, you were we were getting close to your time limit anyway, so we can wrap it up if you need to go. We are, but I feel like I don't want to go. But I mean, I, <laughs> Dude, we'll do this again for, for sure, say, man. If you'll, if you'll have me back, if you want to do like an in-depth on any of the songs, any of the songs that you've heard, like there's a story for every single one of them. If you want to do that, like I'm, I'm down for whatever, man. I'm glad we made the connection. We now know how Skype works. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was some weird like, shit. I don't know. I hadn't been on Skype since maybe like 2014. So like I had to update everything, but yeah. by we, I mean me because you usually do this on Skype. Don't you? I usually do this on Skype, but I mean, if, if there's a better system out there, like I really like the way that heroes and noise like recorded that last time I was with them. I think they were doing like Riverside FM yeah. or something like that. I mean, so that might be something to look into because I really, I really like the sound quality that he brought out on that episode. Um, so oh yeah, that's, that's probably, I'll, I'll reach out to Ramirez at some point and start bugging him about that shit that it's I could Google, but I'd rather hear from him. <laughs> that guy is a wealth of knowledge, and I don't know if you've heard that. Ta oh, that was a, the live. Okay, it'll be out, it's out today. 
<laughs> Perfect. But, um, I'm hoping I'm hoping to get him in the studio soon. Oh, that'd be I amazing. I don't know what's going to come out with it. Maybe he'll bring the Dark Lord with him because, you know, I'm a fan. <laughs> Shout out That's to the right. Dark you Lord. You got to talk to the Dark Lord on one of their episodes. Yo, that, like, I was starstruck. No, no BS, dude. I was really... <laughs> I don't know what C2E2 is, but I have a feeling he'd be there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Am I a total jabroni for not knowing what C2 Like, I feel like it's a convention of some sort for podcasters. Um, no, but I don't know what it see. stands for. So C2E2. So it is Comic Convention and Entertainment Expo. It's basically just the Chicago Comic Con. Oh, okay. Is is basically what it is. Um, now, I, like, I... Like I said earlier, like I get really weird social anxiety, like what do I do with my hands <laughs> type shit yeah. all the time. And uh, and so I was really nervous before going to C2E2 the first time because I was like, what is – like my biggest fear was that I'm going to be surrounded by so many people, but like I'm not going to have anybody that like I'm, you know, like super close to. I mean I'm close to it in terms of, you know, these are people that I've podcasted with, I've – you know, I've talked with on Facebook groups and stuff, but it's like, I don't know them to the point where it's like, is, is there going to come a time today where I'm just going to be in Chicago all by myself and wishing I wasn't here? And and like that never happened. Like it was just everybody in the group was so cool and it was so fun to hang out with. And, and, and quite honestly, in the future, it's like when people talk about C2E2, it's like, I'd rather just go for the after party to just, you know, <laughs> hang out with these people that I know that. You know, if I'm lucky, I get to see them once a year for maybe, you know, one night or something like that. Because for yeah. me, I only live four hours away from Chicago, so it's not a big deal to go for one day. But That's right. The Midwest is so convenient. I forgot. I, I toured out around there. Um, not with Baruch, but I was filling in with another band. And I forget how, like, sweet, like, the, the travel is over there. Yeah, like, oh, I could just go bad. to Chicago. <sighs> Man. I was. I looked at Iowa and I was like, I, I feel like I played in Iowa, but I definitely drove through Iowa. <laughs> oh, for sure. If you were on eighty, you got to go through and see like the most boring parts of Iowa. <laughs> yeah, I was the guy on that tour. Um, I was a fill-in, and I was. I'm not the the best driver when it comes to vans. It was actually the first van I ever drove, and so I was tasked with the overnight duty because there was no traffic and no parking and no, no nothing. You know where you need actual skill, you just need to stay awake. Uh huh. So yeah, I was the overnight driver, and I'm pretty sure I drove through Iowa at night and, <laughs> and just and freestyle. I remember one time I was freestyling with uh, the singer Miklo, who also raps under the name Steiner. He's great. I actually produced something for him that's out too, but it's it's more modern, and he's he's just so much fun. But I was freestyling with him. I remember freestyling in the middle of nowhere, and I was eating a burrito, but still rapping at the same time and making it a part of my rap. <laughs> And you're just doing this just off the top of your head. Yes. It's fucking nice, dude. <laughs> yes. Useless skills that you can't put on a, a resume. I guess you could put it on an entertainment resume, but I don't have one of those. <laughs> yeah, your resume is your body of work, dude. And it speaks dude. for itself. Believe me, I've, I've, I've uh, dived into it this week and it does speak for itself. Well, I appreciate you not having burnout with my voice, considering you've heard every character over it over the past five years in the matter of like a week, I think. <laughs> That's a lot of me to like, you know, like you, you're it's okay if you're sick of me for now. You need to take a break, but I'm always happy 
uh, when you send me a message and I'd, I'd be stoked to come back on anytime. Oh, dude. I mean, we have, we've just touched the surface. I mean, this, this was like the, this is the broad getting to know Daniel episode oh, where we geez. touched on, but, but like, really dude, there's so much more stuff. Like, like you brought up like the van thing. It's like, we haven't had, we haven't had any discussions about what van life is like, let alone van life with a whole bunch of other people or, no or, or, or what, what does it feel like when you've been on the road for a while? And, and you're starting, you know, like if there is friction with people in the band or if it's just that, that melancholy feeling, I can imagine. And from things that I've, you know, read of other people's memoirs, like, um, uh, I remember reading get in the van by Henry Rollins, like where he was having a lot of his tour journals from his time with black flag. And there was stuff that went into being like a road band that like, it never crossed my mind. Like the, the oh, burnout yeah. feelings of being on the road, the feelings of isolation and shit. And, I'm I'm sure those are all things that you've probably experienced along the way. And we didn't get into anything like that. So, I mean, dude, we got no. so much more to talk about. So yeah, we'll be doing uh, more episodes, man. Like I'd if you want to be here, I'm stoked. Dude, if weekends are it, then your listenership, uh, are either going to be stoked to hear more of me or <laughs> going to have to skip over a couple episodes. <laughs> Cause like, it's the same with the heroes, man. Anytime they call on there, I watch movies for these guys. That's how much I love them. <laughs> I sat and watched, I sat in one place at one time and kept my eyes on one screen for those dudes. That's how much I care for them. And it was a great experience. <laughs> That's excellent, man. And so like, for, yeah, man, I like, if you want to do something where you have, so if you want to dive deep into something like I can, I can go, man, it's, it's cool to have this outlet. And it's just, I feel very fortunate that someone such as yourself has taken the time to put ears on what I do and appreciate it enough to take time. And hopefully you don't feel like John Mayer, anybody who's listening and that, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I hope that this, this time is not time you wanted back. And if you do want that time back, feel free to mean tweet me at VXDEDXV because it's been a while since I've gotten tweeted a threat and I miss it. <laughs> Is that cynical? Well, I, I do occasionally get mean messages. So I think there are some people who hate listen to this. <laughs> Tell them to, to bring it, bring it. <laughs> I can't believe you get hate mail. Who is doing that? I don't know. You can't make everybody happy. And quite honestly, if, if you are, you know, making everybody happy, you're probably doing something wrong, but probably hate yourself if you're making everybody happy. Yeah. I don't know. It, it ranges. Like, especially like a while back I had, I had, um, uh, Melissa Sloter and Rebecca Daling on, and it was just an episode talking about how men could be better at being allies for women. Woo. Facts. Facts. And boy, I did get some letters from that one. <laughs> People are, you know, like running the gamut of anything from, Oh, they were just speaking, you know, they, they didn't have actual, you know, scientific facts. They were just, you know, saying their opinions on things. And it's like, well, yeah, I had them on to give me what their take is like as, a, as, as a woman in, and you know, these days we live in with, with as easy as it is to, you know, reach out online and, and be an anonymous pervert or, or just be some creep who can't stop staring at you on the fucking subway. I mean, it's yeah. out there. I felt it was worth talking about. And the fact that he, it's going back to what you said earlier, which I'm going to hold on to this like a treasure for the rest of my life is that if a critic well, does go through and read something, it's like, you know, they took the time to do that and it's time that they're never going to get back. You know, they put it into that. And so it's like, 
the people who are like, oh, I, I listened to 30 minutes of that and tapped out. And it's like, well, that's 30 minutes you listened to. And it made you yeah. red enough in the face that you had to write me a, a mean message that didn't need to happen. So, you know, feel free to fuck your father on the way out the door, man. I don't care if you don't listen anymore. You want to you, you speak to my manager or something? <laughs> <laughs> like, just remember that we're in their heads as much as they're in ours. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, I don't, you know, it, it, it that doesn't bother me so much. <laughs> well, <laughs> I do think it kind of makes me laugh. The, the guy who sent me the, the letter and called me a a liberal cunt that one i Mm. I should like frame that in needlepoint or something because that's funny like i immediately went and told my kids about it and like they started laughing (laughs) is it is it sad for me that like that doesn't like there's so much worse things to be called oh without a doubt i don't know anybody using the term liberal as an insult is i don't know they they probably yeah if they're so offended by someone being liberal that they'll use it as an insult then they've got bigger problems on earth i've been oh geez we could talk about my stories as a lyft driver <laughs> holy shit oh yeah i yeah, bet you no. got stories from that man yeah some of them uh yeah wild really changed my life but yeah i was called a liberal as an insult too one time from a from a passenger and i dropped him off in a parking lot of a trader joe's <laughs> at 11 at night <laughs> That's the See, short version of it. Everybody has Spoiler free alert. speech, but they don't have consequence free spe- free speech. It was That's hilarious it. how he changed his tone once I started video recording him. Once I pulled up the camera <laughs> on my phone, he really he just changed his tone. And he told me that I called him the things that he had called me. It's funny. It's just funny. And apparently he listens to your podcast and comments too. So shout out to that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fuck all the trolls, man. It's like. No, bring them, bring them. It's like when those people me. do reach out, it's like, I, I, I never even respond to them. I'm just like, oh, okay. You know, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, like, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of thinking the, the, that I even read what you wrote. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, but there's a part of me wants to respond back and be like, shouldn't you be like under a bridge harassing billy goats? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So much fun with this. We could have so much fun with this if we want to. <laughs> I'm, like, this conversation with you has really changed my brain. And I feel, I feel, dude, I feel kind of privileged and fortunate. And part of me wants to be like, yo, you earn this. Like, you work your ass off, dude. But then part of me is like, yo, I, I can't believe I still have this no matter how hard I work. But, like, I feel like I have a network of people around me and friends that, like, are just so supportive. And, like... It's cool because it's almost like this little safety bubble, but it's just that. And when you venture outside of that bubble, it may not always be like that. And I'm preparing myself for when that that bubble breaks and I get the strangers listening to the stuff that I do. And they don't know me, so they don't give a shit about me. So they don't care about the art and they don't care about the story. They just want to be entertained and I'm not entertaining them the way they want to be entertained. And having this conversation with you has helped me ready my brain and my heart for that. Because like these songs are personal, uh, some of them are very sad, some of them are very happy, but they're st- they're a reflection of me. And when your art is such a reflection of yourself, it feels like a personal attack when somebody doesn't dig it. But really, it's not that. It's just they're not. That's not what they're looking for, you know. Exactly. It's it's that so, that that reminder that oh yeah, art is subjective. Yeah. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and and if they're looking at my art and it's not jiving with them, that's fine. And we live in a world where 
you know, they, they have these services available where they can put those thoughts out there and, yeah. and dude, you, you're not kidding. Like having, having that support group around you, especially of other creatives is, is hugely important. And like, like I, I'm so thankful that we connected the way we did because I, I consider you part of that circle now, like without a doubt. And and it's it's just awesome. I mean, this is yeah. I'm stoked. This, I this whole week has been a real treat for me. Just just because I, I mean, it, I, you know, I got to know you better, and and I feel so much better, uh, like as a result of that. You know, same dude. Like I'm. I, this crossed my mind real quick, but like I was as soon as like I saw what you did and I dug what you did because sometimes like they're just nice people, but they don't really got it going on, and so. You, kind of don't want to collaborate with them you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah I know it's like i like you you're nice but like i got other stuff i gotta do today and i'm sorry but this ain't i kind of have to gatekeep my time if that makes sense mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a tough situation to be in but i was stoked that you're dope at what you do too because it's just like okay now i don't have to navigate that hey this is a nice guy who i don't have time for right now <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> no i i feel that man like it's it's tough because it's it feels shitty, but like you it, you always want to appreciate the love. But there are other things that we all have to do in our lives, and we all have to prioritize. And there are artists and people that I've worked with or been asked to work with or whatever that I just don't want to because it doesn't. I can't see it working for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's it's a bummer because like wow, this person is very nice, and I want to help them out. But, uh, you know, <laughs> this kind <laughs> no, of damages me. But, like, hearing what you're doing and seeing what you're doing, like, the first thing that crossed my mind is, how can I collaborate with this guy? Oh, you know what wow. I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's huge, that's, man. Yeah, because it's like, I don't know. And that's really dope. high praise, too, that, that that you would, you know, look at, you know, the stuff that I put out and it, it, you like it enough to where you're like, oh, I'd like to collaborate. Like, that's... It affected me, wow, man. Wow, dude, that is, did that. that is a huge honor. Like, that's – I'm really, really touched that you would think that. Yeah, and no pressure or anything like that, but it was the same thing. I mean, I started off as Steve's bass player years and years and years ago. Like, and when I heard his solo music, I was like, the first thing is like, wow, I want to I be a part of this. This is really good. This will make me better. I love this art. I think that's one of the, my ways of showing love for an art is participating with it, putting myself into it. And like, it's the same with JD when I started working with JD is like, I really dig what he does and I respect his skill and he, him as a person. And those are my two requirements, I guess, is not be a piece of shit and then be good at what you do. <laughs> those are <laughs> really, care. really good requirements for people to meet. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> or at least care, like care, care about what you do. Like, yeah, even no, if that's you're a not huge like one. super dope, like even if you're not super dope, have an enthusiasm about it, care about it, smile when you talk about it. Because, yeah, I'm at, at a certain point, you do have to kind of gatekeep yourself. And it's a bummer because you would like to help everybody out and work with everybody. But, like, there are also, especially in music, people that just got their hands out. Oh, yeah. You know? And I'm sure that, that, that that's in every entertainment world. That's, you know, oh, there's yeah. people who Dude, I've, they don't want to do the work. I've definitely had people, like, send me, like, PDFs of comics and stuff and be like, oh, will you review this? And, like, I remember the first time it happened. I was just so stoked and honored. And then when I read the book, I was like, ah, but then I was like, I have to say something about it. And so yeah. it was like, I just like, I, I just felt so 
inauthentic because like what I wanted to say was, holy shit, this book doesn't know what the fuck it wants to be. But instead yeah. I was like, I can kind of see where you were going with this and yeah, man, good luck. Yeah. I'm not going to promote it because I'd be bald faced lying, but that and like, it, so does I, it kind of ruin your brand? You know what I mean? This is like, I don't know. I've, I'm learning a lot from like some of my people here that like are really movers and shakers that I'm not too close to, but I look at them and I'm like, wow, you're, you're really kicking ass. And I kind of pick their brain or see kind of how they post or what they do. And it's, it's like one of them, it's very important to preserve your brand and say, Hey, this is me and this is what I do. And you know, if it means that I can't be friends with everybody, that's what it is because this is the genuine me. And that's, that's tough to be, man. Yeah. It's really tough. Well, I, know, my, I, I, think my... I totally get that. And in, in, in the preserving your brand thing. And, and with me, I've always had an issue where like almost my whole life, I've always been very, I've been overly concerned of do people like me? And I feel like I've gotten yeah. better about it as an adult. And like, I don't know, real, real quicker. I, I, I won't turn this. This is something I've never talked about on a podcast, but it just feels, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about it. We don't need to turn it into a big thing, but <laughs> when, when I was in the third grade and this is something that I don't particularly remember happening, but my mom remembers it happening and she's like reminded me of it not too long ago and I haven't really been able to shake it, but I guess in third grade, the teacher brought me up in front of the classroom and made me stand there while everybody took a turn saying something they didn't like about Joe. Whoa. And apparently only my best friend at the time was the one who, the only one that refused to say something. I don't remember this happening, but I do. Did they do that with all the kids? I don't, fuck, I don't think so. I, this teacher just didn't like me. I remember having lots of problems with this teacher and like, that's such 80s and 90s teaching. Oh, no, no, without a doubt. I mean, this was, you know, That's third grade, bad. so I would it would have been, you know, 89, 90, somewhere in there. Yeah. And I always go back to that, and I'm like, dude, how much of that fucking, how much of that, because I spent so much time then in middle school, in high school, and it really wasn't until I was in my early 20s when, when you know, I, I had that experience where I took way too many mushrooms and had a bad trip. And I feel like it, that was the first time I really saw everything clearly. And then I made big changes after that. Wow. But leading up to it. Like, I wonder like how much, how much did that shit affect me to where it's like, uh, if everybody takes a turn saying something that you don't like about you, and then you're just a child, how does that fuck with you? And Dude, then like, part that. of me is like, I want to like, it, like, I don't remember it happening. So it's like, but I also wasn't never a kid to like tell stories and like make shit up for attention. And so, and then yeah. when I look at like, you know, how I struggled with, with like caring so much about how people perceived me and like making sure people, you know, like, well, if I interact with you, I want to make sure you like me. And it's like, I'd walk away from that going, I don't like that person. Why do you fucking care if they like you? Right. But, yeah. I don't know. I don't mean to bring up something really heavy at the end, but I've been no. tripping about this for like a few weeks now. And I keep going back to like, God damn, I hope that didn't happen. And I just fucking made it up. But I don't think I did. <laughs> like, I think That's that shit really happened, of... man. And so, uh, yeah. Yo, yeah. teachers were wild back then. Yeah, fucked up stuff, man. I mean, but. Yeah. I, I remember, yeah, like t teachers being real, real off, getting some racism and stuff from some teachers. Oh, yeah. Like not realizing it back then. 
you know what I mean? Because you're just a kid, mm-hmm. but then realizing, oh, that's what they meant. Nice. Oh, or, right, or like watching a, like a teacher be like bully one of the kids that's already a kid that gets bullied, you know, by their peers. And now you have a teacher yep. that you can tell just looking at the teacher like you were a jock piece of shit in high school. And and now you're yep. still just in that high school setting, still acting like the jock piece of shit. Like, what the fuck, man? Yep. And yeah. So so I don't know. Like, uh, this is all kind of a roundabout way to go back to saying that, you know, like when it when it comes to, you know, letting some people in and not letting others in, like, that's something that I've struggled with because I, I have to bounce it against that. You know, are, are you doing this to appease that part of your brain that, that you think yeah. everybody needs to like you or, or do you legitimately – want to spend time with this person do you want to put energy into to you know responding to that text or something like that and it's like in some cases it's just no not not really and i'm old enough now to be like no it's like i don't i don't dislike you i don't want to put sugar in your gas tank i want all the good things in life for you but it's just in in some ways it's it's an emotional suck to have to fucking deal with yes. you. i'm just not going to do it i'm not you know I it, think that, and also there comes a point where it's like, do you have time to respond to every fucking text message you get sent? No. Uh, sometimes no. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's, it's, it'll it's, suffice it's to say yeah. that, that, you know, being a human being is, is complicated <laughs> and it, it's made yeah. all the much easier when you find your tribe. And, and now in 2021, with with the internet and the fact that, I mean you're in California and I'm in Iowa. Yep. Forty years ago, fifty years ago, we would never have met. This conversation would have been happening. There's a really good chance I never would have even discovered your music. But now in the I, age I that we live though. in, you know, now yeah. in the age we live in, it's it's just different. And and I don't have to just settle for people that are you know, hey, you're in the same age group as me. You're geographically yeah. the same. We have to go to this same shit public school together. Yeah. Uh, let's be friends for life. You don't have to do yeah. that. You can find your own tribe. And, and dude, when, when, when I find, like, when I have these instances, like, like with you, where I, like, like we meet and it's like, you know, digitally meet, but it's like, you know, you're awesome. I preach, I respect what you do. And, and, and I like having conversations with you and my life has made the better as a result that you're in it. And so, you know, like, I, I, I'm so stoked that we've connected because it's like, yes, this is like, I don't know. And what's weird too, is like, I don't know, not to sound like cliche or anything, but like, we've been like texting stuff this week and it's like, I'm not like texting with you. Like somebody I just started texting with four days ago. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, it's cool. You know, I I I feel like I can share shit with Daniel. Cause he'll get it because you also struggle with, or, you know, like anybody who's an artist has that, that relationship with their own creativity that, that I think unless you're an artist going out there and doing that, like people don't really relate to what you're talking about, you know, to have yes. something that you can be so passionate about, but you can also be simultaneously, you know, so afraid to share that baby with the world. And then how's the world going to react to that baby? And Dude, it could get rough. It could get real rough. <laughs> and so it's just, I'm so thankful to, to, you know, have people like you and like Ramirez and Hudson and, and, you know, like, you know, like Brian from Pop Culture Leftovers and Jake from Pop Culture Leftovers. I mean, like, you know, all these people that, you know, I can look at, like, you know, they're my peer group. Then also there's people that I can look up to and, and really appreciate the high level of, of work that they put out and then be simultaneously inspired to, to push myself 
you know, further along. It's like, you know, I, I, I found my own steel that sharpens steel. So heck yeah, dude. <laughs> so you brought it back up like a true, a good podcast host did. You brought the heavy, which is heavy. And I hope that didn't happen to you. And if it did, man, and you, you're not using that as an excuse to be a piece of shit. And that's awesome. Of you. <laughs> that's a hero thing. Yeah. No, I, think, I, I couldn't abide being a piece of shit, whether it's because it would make people dislike me <laughs> yeah, or because it, more, more so it would make me, it'd make me disappointed in myself. And and that's right. the thing is that I, 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 my wife always tells me that I have high standards. And, and when she sees like, hears me like, you know, bitching about something, she always have to remind me like, Hey man, you just, not everybody's that level of crazy. So just, you know, don't, don't <laughs> set such high standards and maybe the world won't continuously disappoint you. <laughs> wow. This sounds very familiar. I think this is why we we're like, like homies. Quickly, you know what I mean? It's like, did we like, just become up. besties? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> the same wave. But dude, yeah. Like, I think for me, when it comes to that, I, I had a phase in my late teens, early 20s, where I didn't care if people liked me or not. And I was actually cool with people not liking me. And having that phase kind of helped me find balance between the two. You know what I mean? <laughs> I bet. I bet. And it's all back. It all ties back to pro wrestling. And if you have a phase as a heel and you don't care that people think you're a bad guy and you just do what you do, it makes that, it makes you coming back around to being a good guy much more sweeter. And that's, you know, I always tie everything to pro wrestling, as you can tell. (laughs) I know. And what's funny is that you and I talked for so long before we hit record and we set. So much time talking about, uh, you know, your love of Japanese pro pro wrestling and stuff. So, I mean, yeah. dude, we, yeah, we, we've got, we've got another episode already <laughs> like in the works. <laughs> you say the word, um, Skype's really easy. And if my AirPod quality is decent enough for you, this can happen whenever you got to have it. As long as you and your <laughs> listeners will have me, I will be here. I have uh, one thing for you before I go. I got, I'm going to, my, everything is dying right now, yeah, but do it. I wanted to get this to you. Um, your characters in I Become Death all have like a main weapon and like a sidearm and like a hand to hand, right? Uh-huh. Like are you writing a video game, first of all? No. <laughs> okay, so so I become death. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. The question is with it, the whole thing that rounds it out is like maybe if you have people that read your book, ask them what their weapons would be. Dude, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, it hit me in the head. Like, and I want to know what yours would be because you know your your characters have like you know, homegirl had a, a crowbar and the other cat had a machete. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, well, when I wrote that, you know, with Frank being the main character, I wrote Frank with having what what I would want, and there was very practical reasons for it. Um, the the a machete is going to be really handy for a multi like multiple things. Not so much as a crowbar. A crowbar is going to be, you know, a little bit more of a, a utility. But, I mean, as long as you have somebody on your crew or on your team with a crowbar, you're covered there. But, like, yeah. like for a true, you know, hand-to-hand weapon in a zombie apocalypse, you can't go wrong with a razor-sharp machete. Right. I mean, it, especially if you're not using some piece of shit cheap Walmart one. Like, if you're using, like, a legit machete that's, like, real yes. thick steel. And you'd, like, sh- I mean, because, like, the machete that I have that I use on trail work. Dude, I sharpen that thing down to the point where I can, like, shave hair off my arm with it. Let's and then, go. And then when I'm, like, swinging that out in the woods and, like, sharpening stakes or just cutting through vegetation to get through, like, a, 
you know, part of a trail that hasn't been walked on for a long time. The weight yeah. of the blade does all the work. You don't do anything with it. And so that was why Frank carried that one. But then with the AK, it's like, that's a time tested machine. I mean, you can, yes. you can do almost anything to an AK 47 and that thing is going to still fire. And, and that's the important thing. Um, I did struggle with not giving Frank a Glock as, as a <laughs> sidearm, just because number one, I've, I've owned maybe three different Glocks over the years and they are incredible guns. I mean, I don't know if you've ever looked up the torture tests that like Glock put their things through, where it was like, they like put it in a bucket of sand and then like completely submerged in sand and then pull it out and ran 500 rounds through it. Not a single issue, put it in a bucket of gravel, the same thing, put it in the bottom of a lake, pull it out. Same thing. I, I think they even threw it in, threw it down on the ground in a gravel parking lot, parked an SUV on top of it, took lunch, rolled the SUV off of it. And then we're still able to run a 500 rounds through it without issue. Like the torture testing they put through Glocks is incredible that, and they're incredibly simple. It's, it's just a frame and a slide, a barrel and a spring. And then if you want to further, you know, take like the, tr the trigger assembly out and like, you know, the striking pin out of the slide and all that shit you can, but really to actually clean a Glock, you just pull the slide off, pull the barrel out, pull the spring off, clean oil, wipe all down, reassemble, boom. You should be able to strip, clean, reassemble a Glock in like fucking 90 seconds. I should. <laughs> Blindfolded. And I was a big enough dork that when I was into guns, I did that exact same shit that Frank did. And I literally <laughs> blindfolded myself, took apart a Glock, and put it back together. <laughs> Sounds like something my brother would do. He's into guns. <laughs> but then what's funny is then when I got into climbing, and like, you know, it was like anything movement-based, like yoga or or even like long-distance running and stuff like that, where you're just doing something that your body knows how to do and you can achieve a flow state in it. You know, I mean, you can really use it as like a meditative thing. And so I feel like, like climbing and stuff like really centered me more because I was pretty fucking aggro. I mean, when I, when I first bought a gun, I bought a gun for the worst fucking reason. I bought it out of fear. Yeah. I, I was living in a house that, you know, this was in 2008. So we were renovating our, our flood house and getting it all put back together and there was all these news stories going around of, you know, cr um, criminals that were going and breaking into houses to steal tools and then resell wow. them. And, you know, the town we were living in didn't have hardly any power to it. There was no street lights. We were some of the only people living here because so many other houses around us were just under construction. And I was like, oh, my God, we got a new baby here. There, there, there's, oh, yeah. there, there's criminals breaking into houses. This is freaky here at night. And so I was telling you know, my, my wife's cousin, Jeff about it, who's like total gun nut. And he's like, Oh, well I'll take you out to the range and I'll bring out a, a range of handguns. He brought out like a 22, nine millimeter or 45. And then he also brought out a bunch of fun stuff, like an AK and an AR 15 <laughs> and like, like uh long rifles from like world war two and shit like that. And so like, we just had a blast shooting all these guns. And then I, and then, like I said earlier, I don't get into things lightly. And so, yeah, I just jump right into that and, I learned so much about guns, but I mean, that's why parts of I become death, like read like gun porn. <laughs> yeah. I was so I, I think, into I, it. You I know? wanted to, I wanted to send it to my brother who's also got a podcast. Um, I wanted to send it to him and be like, Hey, can you tell me what all this gun stuff means? Cause it sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> I 
so yeah, I mean, suffice to say those would be my weapons. It'd be an AK because of the reliability. Um, I ended up going with a, with him carrying a 1911 uh, for the uh, the sidearm just because I love that style. Um, that's yeah. that like you've seen a 1911 style pistol like in movies and stuff. Um, like have you ever seen like Saving Private Ryan? I think one of the ones of my brothers I shot was one of those. Okay, yeah. So like anytime you've watched, you've seen somebody in like a World War II movie you know, pull out like a pistol. That's like a slide action one. Most likely that's a okay. Colt 1911. That's dope. Mm, yeah. It's a big ass heavy round. That's slow moving. They say in self-defense that that's the gun you want to shoot. Because if you shoot a home intruder with a 45, the bullets are probably going to stop in him. And not only are they not going to pass through, but they're big enough and carry enough force that it's going to knock them down. If somebody were to like come rushing at you and you were to be shooting them with like a 40 caliber or a nine millimeter, there's a really good chance that those rounds, they're high velocity, smaller rounds. There's a really good chance that you're going to go directly through the person and it's not going to knock them back. And so if you got somebody running at you, say you got a 200 pound dude that's running at you with a raised knife, right? So if you shoot that guy to keep him away from you, you want those bullets to knock him down and put him out of of commission. If you shoot him with something where those bullets are going to go right through him, and he's going to still keep running at you with a knife, you have not stopped the threat. Mm. This is all the weird shit you learn when you get into guns. (laughs) And this is why you write this book the way you do. I'm digging it, man. Well, and and that's always like, I, dude, I'm interested in almost everything. And and like I said, I I don't dip my toes. I, I jump in. And so I'll learn all this shit about things. It's like my brain is a repository of just weird. Like you don't want to play trivial pursuit with me. Well, man, like unless I'm, I'm on your team, and then I'm, then you're gonna be like, sweet. <laughs> I'll just kick back and drink my soda while we win. Yeah, and it's it's genetic too because my my 13 year old has the same useless superpower. Let's go. Well, like, this is what we're podcasters and writers, and, and <laughs> this, that's what the superpower is for, dude. And yeah. I am so ecstatic that you decided to jump into my body of musical work here, like. Like it really does like the fact that you listen to so much of it and I could, uh, to use a quote from my favorite podcast, no offense, but wax poetic about this stuff. Um, it really means a lot to me, dude, that like this took your energy and took your time and you're never going to get it back no matter what. Like you said, <laughs> <laughs> I don't need it back, dude. Like, in, like when I was listening, when I was listening, like this whole week when I've been listening to your music. It's been, it's been, it's like helped me get through the day, you know, Dude, what? And, and, that, and that's the way art, that's the way music and stuff is supposed to be where it's so like, oh, this shit sucks. That- what can I do? That's going to like make this better. Oh, I know. I, I, I can put on Daniel's solo album that I love so much. And then after Monday, I'm going to have two solo albums I get to listen to on repeat. And so, yeah, dude, it's, you know, it, it goes both ways. Like. Like, I'm so appreciative that you put that art out there. And then let alone that you put that art out there and you're so cool. You're so cool that here we are having, dude, we've been talking for nearly three hours. I mean, longer. we've been talking for three and a half hours, technically. I really hope it happens again soon. Um, (laughs) This has really fired me up because there's a lot to do today. I need to start putting the plans into place for this compilation I've been dreaming up. And, uh, and the fruit music video shoot, like there's, Today is going to be a big day, and dude, talking with you has really fired me up to make sure that the next stuff I do is even better. And I can't wait till we fast forward a year or two and we're talking about that because I'd love for that to happen. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! Hell yeah, man!
Well, geez, ah, thank I'm so you excited. So much. This, is, this has been a great day. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> a really I've, great I've, day, Daniel. I've talked down my um, AirPod batteries and my laptop battery, and it's so worth it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so, glad to hear, man. No, this is this has been wonderful. Um, thank you so, so much, man. Yeah, dude. Um, so this Monday, people, 3-1, you got to get Daniel's new release. It is VXDED. XV clocked out. You will not be disappointed. It is so fucking good. And I'm, you've heard me say this. What is this? Like maybe the 50th time I've said this on this episode. Like you you won't, you won't go wrong Buy this album. When it comes out, support Daniel. Uh, If you're into heavy stuff, check out Farouk. You're going to fucking love it. Um, And also while we're at it, you know, check out SE Hudson, the gentleman and JD, JD Garza. Into the Woods. Yep. Did I remember that? Yeah. Do yes. all those things. Check them out. Yeah. And uh, if you dislike me, I promise you'll like all of them. And uh, <laughs> Actually, the, the the album is, well, you, you bought it, the pre-sale on Bandcamp too. So yep. that's, that's available to get right now. And, you know, thank you so much, dude. I can't thank you enough. Dude, thank you. Thank you. And, and keep putting out that great music because as long as you're putting it out, dude, I'm going to be buying it. And I know... There's got to be a lot of other people like it that are feeling it too that'll continue buying it. So keep doing what you're doing, man. Truly appreciate it, man. It's happening today. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been Startcast. Cast.